He thought he was in control. How wrong he was. up it's shane with dynamis media and i'm joined here with stefan that's me <laughs> that's a me and you're tuning into the dark side driving which is our horror themed podcast where we kind of go through movies from the 80s sometimes 70s sometimes 90s and uh today we've got a we've got a banger uh it's the part two of our summer try slashathon why don't you tell us what movie we're uh, covering today Stefan? well sure i can do that shane uh we're doing uh <laughs> sleepaway camp uh, it's a slasher that's one of the only slashers where there's very little slashing in it, actually. Once, I think, right? The, no, well, technically twice, right? Uh, yeah, I, I would say there's two slashings, but 13 yeah, murders. Well, well te- technically that one time was four slashings. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I mean, if you want to get technical about it. Either way, that's why we're here. We're here to break down slashings. What is a slashing? How we do slash? Why we do slash? Um, no. Uh, so... I think Wait, this isn't um, the slash podcast where we talk about slash, slash from uh slash. from Guns and Roses. Guns and Roses. <laughs> yeah. What's under his hat? That's what I need to know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is it hair? Is it ratatouille? Does he have a ratatouille playing guitar? Do you ever see that episode of Always Sunny in Philadelphia when uh they're in uh, the courtroom and the one guy has his hat on and they take off his hat and there's a bird under it? That's fucking amazing. Yeah, I think it was Guillermo del Toro <laughs> plays the guy because and then he has the bird under his hat. All right. Oh, I got to cut out what this wild... entire discussion. No, just... never. I will never cut out Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> Ever. What a weird human being. We, and we don't deserve him. No, not at all. So, um, but hey, I, I'm pretty excited about this one. I think uh, this is the first time that you and I are differing in opinions of the movie. Not maybe not as much as you think, but um, I have some opinions of the movie and it changed throughout the movie. Um, but I really, I actually really did enjoy this. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for us to kind of get into it. Do you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't downplay it. Like I'm hot on it. You're cold on it. I'm scorpion. You're sub zero. I'm cinder. Yeah. You're glacious. You know, I'm oh, geez. Diablo and you're blizzard, which doesn't make sense. Cause blizzard's opposite is chaos in primal rage and Diablo's opposite is Sauron. Remember primal rage? Do I remember Primal Rage? Yes, of course I remember <laughs> Primal Rage. Talk about shit that I haven't thought about in 20 years. Oh, yeah. I think about it a lot. Uh, like it's over that's a lie. We, we bought it. Yeah, we, we did. Bought we bought it, it for the Sega Genesis and we and played it. it plays like shit. Wow. Remember? It was terrible. Yeah, but that's we don't have the, the six-button controller. You're playing a giant monster. It's hard to play them. They're clunky. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's true to life. Yeah. That's how life is. Man, when we got kill, Killer Instinct, that took up, what, probably a month of our life? Yeah, I did say Cinder and Glacius. Maybe you weren't paying attention. Yeah, I did, but I'm saying like that's what you brought it up. That's why. Yeah, I do. Uh, actually, I uh, was just recently playing the remake of Killer Instinct and remembered that I'm bad at it. We were that one night, and this is again inside baseball. We were both so hammered, and we both landed like the super combo break. Remember that on each other constantly back and forth, and we both looked at each other like, "What the fuck is happening?" We just really wanted we- that guy to yell the combo breaker at us. <laughs> Oh, it's very man. satisfying. <laughs> well, so 
you know, I don't really have any updates on anything else. Uh, you know, business as usual. Yeah. No, no housekeeping and, uh, no apologies yeah. this time. We don't have anything to apologize yeah, for. We for didn't once. mess anything up. No, not that I know of. Which anyway. is probably not true. Yeah. This, yeah. Right. Really. It's almost certainly something that we did wrong, but no one called us on it. So no one DM to me on Twitter. So I think we're good. Perfect. Also follow our Twitter, uh, at the dark side driving, no at dark side driving. And then um, Stefan is at Dark Schneid. I am at Dark Schneid. Not, not Dark Schneider, Dark Schneid. Although, yeah, which actually, yeah, that is an anime thing, isn't it? But here's the thing. It is, totally. Um, it's not Twitter anymore, my man. It's X. Don't you pay attention to what Elon does? It's X now. My, my phone has a picture of a little bird on it, and it says Twitter under it. So until that changes to an X, I'm, I refuse to acknowledge anything that man does. That's why I said it. I just looked at my yep. phone and it was changed. So I have to say X though. I literally, my phone literally, it says Twitter. I'm looking at it right now with the bird and everything. I'm looking at mine. It's an X dude. I wish I had the bird. I miss it. You know, I wonder if like Jack Dorsey just sits in a dark room, like with his hands, like contem- you know, that meme where it's like the guy with his hands in front of his face, like contemplating. Like, I wonder if he ever just like watches like Twitter, like the or X, I guess the feed is like, what have I done? But then he probably goes and swims in his like fucking Richie Rich money banks, uh, Scrooge McDuck room. Yeah, yeah I was going to say he takes his damn billionaire ass yacht and just floats yeah. somewhere in an island with no extradition and like hunts people for sport or something. Like there's no way in hell that he cares what Elon's doing now. Well, he made a new one and I actually applied to get into it and I, I think I got denied because we're not important. <laughs> so either way. All right, cool. So now that we're done with that, um, let's move on to the actual podcast. Although we kind of have to like for sleepaway camp, we kind of have to do a similar thing that we did for the prowler, which is, this is very much a, uh, whodunit like mystery style version of this. And you don't know who the killer is. And once you find out, I don't think you really find out until the very end of the movie, who the actual killer is. And, there are hints. It's not as tightly plotted as the Prowler, which is like the gold standard in this sort of thing. But there are hints throughout and red herrings throughout and a lot more active suspicion because the killings are known to the other characters as opposed to the Prowler, where it's like, what, they're four bodies deep before they even realize that there's a murder afoot. So that's that's what we want to say is like, do you want I think we pretty much have to at least spoil who the killer is. We totally do. Yeah. And early. We don't, yeah, we don't have to spoil Um, why, (laughs) but we can't, we do have to spoil who it is Yeah. now. So I would say listeners, if you don't want to know, or if you don't know and you want to know, turn this off, hit smash that pause button, go to Tubi, go to sleepaway camp, press, uh, press play on your, smash that like button. (laughs) Press play on your remote control. Like subscribe. If you have, if you have, or an enter button on your remote control, go to the triangle icon. It's like a sideways triangle. Click on that. That means play and then play the movie. Um, also, I actually ended up watching it on Peacock. Uh, uh, my second watch through for the, in preparation for the podcast, uh, because Tubi didn't have any, uh, subtitles and I wanted to make sure I didn't miss any important dialogue and Peacock did. So on this movie was rife with dialogue right sure i mean there's a lot of talking i don't know (laughs) there actually is and some of it's actually you know what i'm sorry i made fun of you because sometimes some of the campers and the counselors in the background are talking about something 
and they're trying to show the perspective of the kids. So my bad. You're right. Um, yeah, but, it's a good. It's about time that I've finally been vindicated for my opinions. But here's the thing: very, um, very high level. What you have is summer camp. People are ending up dead or severely injured in some cases. Um, someone it begins to become clear that they are an accident. Someone's doing it, uh, so on and so forth. That's that's the basics of the plot here. Now, so you've been warned, yeah, so we're gonna we're, so yeah, we're, we're doing we're gonna it. spoil that pretty swiftly. I think I'll probably spoil it whenever they're going to camp in the in my plot synopsis. Yeah, it's Mark. Uh, <laughs> nope, <laughs> no, it is. Also, wrong. Yeah, movie. I was like, wait a second. Was, I was like, was, I was looking. That was at my, my last joke from last. I was time. looking at my entire <laughs> cast list. I'm like, who the hell is that? Because this is there's so many people. There very well may be a child named Mark at this camp probably but anyways um, and we're not even gonna get to a plot synopsis first we're gonna talk about the the crew and the cast oh, yeah. why'd you almost let me skip that i wanted you to do a cool apology next week so mm, yeah i can't be doing that any <laughs> the director of this uh and the writer a double threat uh robert uh hiltzik um he uh is the director of sleepaway camp and uh, return to sleepaway camp which is the 2008 version technically the fourth in the series at that point um and it's it has most of the uh surviving cast members return to it so pretty important his writing credits are sleepaway camp they give him credit on sleepaway camp 2 unhappy campers sleepaway camp 3 teenage wasteland and sleepaway camp 4 the survivor but it's always like original idea, characters, all of that, and, and at least the two and three uncredited. And you might ask yourself, wait a second, I thought you said Return to Sleepaway Camp was the fourth one. Why is there a Sleepaway Camp for the survivor? I don't know. There doesn't seem to be a good answer for why that one is labeled four, even though there is a fourth movie and it is a different movie. I mean, does anyone know? <laughs> no. I, I actually couldn't find a lot out about that. <laughs> Sleepaway Camp 4? Yeah. The survivor? Is it on Tubi? Uh, I don't know. And I, I don't think you need to see it because uh, I was reading yep. up on it and cause everyone in the cast pretty much has a credit on that movie. I'm like, what is happening? But the credit is always archive footage. It turns out that there's like 30 minutes of new movie in that. And the rest of it is just flashbacks of showing the other movies, showing Sleepaway camp one. That's amazing. <laughs> so that's, that is what that movie is. So you know, don't hurt yourself trying to track that one down. Uh, I am interested actually in seeing return to sleepaway camp since so many of the uh, cast return, uh, including Felissa Rose, like who I'm going to talk about. Angela are like main protagonists of sorts, I guess, um, mm -hmm. because uh, she like, she finally came back to like bring, get that role back again after, you know, not being in, uh, you know, two or three and it was not well received in, you know, understandably, she was not pleased that it wasn't well received. And she had famously written like a blog post, like angry with Fangoria about it and stuff like that. But neither here nor there. But that's it for Robert Hiltzik. I think his main job is he's a lawyer. So he's a lawyer and he's the sleepaway camp guy. So that's all that's all he's got going on. And that's all you really need at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, especially because of the amount of money that they made off of this movie. But I guess we'll get into that later. I mean, we can now. Yeah, $350,000 budget. Um and then 11 million, I think it made. Um, 
So uh, in business, we call that an ROI. <laughs> uh, hell yeah. Is that what that's that is? Huge. Yeah. yeah. That's huge. It's a Roy. This guy made like $10 million off of this movie. And he, he didn't he self-fund it? He did, yes. He, it's actually, yeah. so if you, not to get ahead of us for, to the movie, but we probably weren't going to talk about this anyway, but the actual first thing you see in the movie is that he thanks his mother. If you remember that, like the very, very first mm-hmm. like uh, thing you see on the screen is like a thank you to like a wonderful mother or something like that. Um, that is because his mother actually passed and from his inheritance, he was able to self fund the movie or at least bring the funding that he had to the level where he could. Finish yeah. Right. It. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not hundred percent clear if it was like fully funded or if it was like just supplemental funding, but in any case, which is kind of sweet uh, that like, you know, he was able to take that and like make this project clearly as a project that this is what he wanted to do because he never really did anything else. Even the other movie he made was another in this same world that he'd created. So, you know, love it or hate it sub zero over here. I don't hate the movie, but like at least, you know, he made, he made the thing, he made the thing that he wanted to make anyhow, special effects moving on. We got to get through this. Cause there's a lot of people in this movie. Um, Special effects, there's two. Uh, one is uh, William uh, uh, Bailowit. Um, I really thought he uh, was interesting because he was also on the art department uh, for The Prowler, Creep Show, Nightmare, and a production designer on Chud. Hmm. So he hits, you know, The Prowler and Chud. You know, movies we've talked about. So he knows if it Chuds and he knows if it prowls. Um, another, the other special effects person listed in the credits was uh, Ed Fountain. Uh, who did special effects also on creep show uh, on tales from the dark side. <laughs> Cause I, oh I can't do an episode without having someone be in tales from the dark side. Uh, and then also the dark half, like there's a Steve, this adaptation of that Stephen King book, the dark half, uh, which I've heard mm-hmm. is good. I, I've never seen it, but then he also uh, did uh, art department work on night riders, creep show, chud creep show two, And then puppy bowl 10, the, nice. <laughs> The, the best puppy boy. I mean, it was, it was the is a decade anniversary, but I just thought it was cool to see him like working with Romero projects, which I think the dark half is also a Romero project, if I'm not mistaken. So probably crossing paths with guys like Tom Savini and everything like that. All right. To the cast. Got to get started with uh, Felissa Rose playing our protagonist of sorts. Angela age 13 in this movie, which is wild. Yeah. She actually it's, it has an interesting career because pretty much from here on, she didn't have a lot of credits until the 2000s. Um, she was offered the, the role of Angela in uh, Sleepaway Camp 2 and 3. But apparently she'd been accepted to uh, the uh, Tisch School for the Arts or whatever. And as a result, I can't remember how they said it. So she couldn't have postponed her entrance to that program without reapplying and they were filming mm-hmm. both uh sleepaway camp two and three at the same time. Gotcha. Oh yeah. Nothing to comment on. All right. So cut that out. No, no, it's just, it's storming really bad. Right okay. Now. Yeah. It's starting to rain here a little bit too. So, Hey, audience, yeah. if you hear some rain, that's what it is or thunder. Uh, but yeah, so Angela is actually played by uh, Pamela Springsteen in those movies who you, you might know her brother, your boss or all of our uh, boss Bill Springsteen, Bruce, maybe. No, not him. Uh, Jesus, everyone's boss. Yeah, sure. Famous, famously bossy <laughs> guy, Jesus. Um, but yeah, but no. So, uh, but here's the thing: like Felissa Rose, when she came back to the scene, she basically 
went for it. She's ever like ever since the 2000s, I think she has over 150 credits to her name, mostly low budget horror. Like she's just down for this screen queen business. Like she's into it. You know, corpses are forever slaughter party, you know, return to sleepaway camp. We talked about silent night, zombie night, Dahmer versus Gacy, which in, I'm curious about that. Uh, aliens versus a-holes. I don't know who I want to win that one. Uh, Jurassic city, uh, tales of Halloween, terror tales, uh, the house that wept blood, Victor Crowley, death house, big freaking rat, uh, bloody summer camp. There's a lot of summer camp themed ones. Uh, more recently terrifier two, which the terrifier two is like a pretty big deal. Uh, recently with that art, the clown fellow, everyone's all about, um, mm -hmm. wolf hollow, uh, the new hands and, uh, a lot of fans of, uh, the last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs would know her as the mangled dick expert that they call it. Yeah. <laughs> she always <laughs> comes in as the mangled dick expert in like, I think she's been on like eight episodes, either like actually being a guest or being like on, like on the phone, talking to them on the phone, which is pretty funny. It's hilarious. Yeah. It just yeah, shows how much funny. of a sense of humor she has about like being part of the horror community and stuff like that. Yeah. Which you love to see it. And um, she actually, when Joe Bob does, he does his like Christmas charity stuff. And I know there's one where they're doing it. Like it was a telethon. And she was a guest at that too. So she's been a like active in, in the horror community. I did active on Joe Bob's show and stuff like that. So always good to see. Next up, we'll do her cousin, Ricky, uh, as played by Jonathan Tierston. He pretty much had some uh, CBS and like ABC after school specials in the eighties, then pretty much nothing until return to sleepaway camp in 2008. Um, at that point he started doing like leaning into like, like horror movie stuff. Um, he had, uh, the perfect house terror tales, also the house that wept blood with Felissa Rose slossages, but slaws spelled slaughter, like S L A U G H. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Uh, Lake of shadows, which I believe also had Felissa Rose in it. Uh, toilet zombie baby strikes back. So I guess he wasn't in the first toilet zombie baby, but he got to see the revenge. Uh, <laughs> last American horror show volume two, uh, time's up. So he's got a lot, a lot more credits in recent years. Uh, and for a long time, it's, it looks like he was the lead singer of a band called Bambi's apartment. So I think he'd been dedicated to music in the intervening years between, you know, the eighties up until the two thousands. Next up is our antagonist. I would say, well, not our antagonist in that she's the murderer, but our antagonist in that she's really mean. And that's Judy as played by Karen fields. So her only other credits besides this are sleepaway camp, for the survivor with archive footage and then a short film called judy which i guess postulates a world where judy didn't die in this because spoiler alert judy, judy's gonna die but this is like a short film about judy as an adult like getting revenge on someone's abusive parents or something i don't know where you can see that i would love to see it and see how exactly they make that work i guess i'm looking it up right now it's pretty wild i guess she didn't like they never acknowledge her death and we didn't technically see her be dead, but we did. It's pretty heavily implied that she was killed. We'll get there during the plot synopsis, but man, next up is uh, Paul Ricky's best friend um, as played by uh, Christopher uh, Collier, Collier, rather Collier, sorry, Christopher Collier. I actually looked up the pronunciation on that one. Uh, he was in firstborn. Uh, he had the lead role in the Manhattan project, which I thought was pretty funny considering uh, kind of dating our podcast a little bit, like stamping it for when we are now. But uh, one of the biggest movies in the country is that Oppenheimer one, also about the Manhattan Project. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, 
you know, a lot of TV work, you know, episodes of like Equalizer, The Hitchhiker, Cosby Show, MacGyver, L.A. Law. Uh, he was in The Langoliers, which, you know, is a pretty fun little Stephen King, uh, Stephen King, like miniseries. Uh, he had an ep- uh, episode stint in the Purge TV series, which is more recent. But the bulk of his career actually comes under another name, which is Andrew Paul, where he did a lot of work for uh, Four Kids Entertainment, uh, like the company that owns a lot of like Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, all that stuff. Yeah. So he's done mm-hmm. a lot of like voice work for those and also like um, like vocal direction and stuff like that. Like so he's been working basically for them. Um, I had like, there's like a character he plays in a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh stuff named Umbra, which I feel like I've heard of, but I don't know enough to know. So Yu-Gi-Oh fans, let me know, uh, who this Umbra is, but it seems like he plays that character a lot. Um, also some video games, a few one piece video games. Um, Sonic Unleashed is a recent one. And it said Viva Pinata and I thought it was Viva Pinata the game, but it turns out there's actually a TV show of that. And it was, there is apparently, Hey, that's what it, that's what it was. It was like wow. 24 episodes of something of a TV show where he was in Viva Pinata. Um, so I love the Langoliers. That's my, that's one of my favorite next to it. It's one of my favorite Stephen King, like, uh, adaptations. I do. I do love that scene with the dude. He thinks he's at the boardroom on the tarmac, like mm-hmm. with his boss, like yelling at him or whatever. That's a pretty fun scene. Yeah. That's an overall pretty fun story too. I, I, yeah, it's cool. I would like to see them redo that in like a, bigger budget kind of like how they did it with like the it part one and it part two like do a langoliers yeah. like a big budget version of it like i would pay to see that yeah it'd be awesome but yeah no there's uh this uh christopher Coley, like big big career a lot of vocal work um probably heard him probably heard his voice a lot on pokemon honestly because it looks like he's been in like hundreds of episodes throughout the series so um next up is going to be mel our lovable old camp owner um mike kellen is the actor who plays mel um it's kind of a little bit of tragedy on this one because he actually passed away before the movie was uh released but after filming was completed because it turned out that he had lung cancer the entire time didn't want to tell anyone so they didn't even know and he unfortunately passed um that's terrible yeah 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 he has a he had a really long career you know all the way back to like at the war with the army uh, episodes of the Alfred Hitchcock Hour, Twilight Zone, you know, a bunch of like the standard shows of those days, you know, Rawhide, Lost in Space, Gunsmoke. A uh, pretty cool one on his resume is actually God Told Me To, which you might not remember. I mentioned it during our first episode, but that's a Larry Cohen film. So, you know, director of the stuff, also directed God Told Me To, uh, Midnight Express, Galactica 1980. <laughs> I have in my notes the jazz singer, but not that one. Not, not uh, the Al yeah. Jolson one, the first yeah, talkie, yeah. but yeah, but like a different one. Like, uh, it's like, it's more of a, um, show about, I believe it's about a Jewish boy who wants to become like, uh, active in the jazz community and stuff like that. Just before dawn, Terry Alcatraz, uh, and his last credit before sleepaway camp was the tragedy of King Lear where he played King Lear. And then he went and elevated himself to be in sleepaway camp <laughs> from Shakespeare to, to sleepaway camp. So obviously a glow up. But then his actual last credit on IMDb is Sleepaway Camp for the Survivor because of the archival footage. And I just put in my notes, boo, like so disrespectful. Like Mm. he never agreed to that. That was like decades after his death. But, you know, you got to got to make that stock footage movie. Uh, Next up is probably I would say our secondary antagonist, uh, Meg, uh, as played by uh, Catherine Kamhee or Kamhee. 
didn't look up pronunciation on that one. Uh, she was in uh, Silent Madness, uh, a bunch of one episode stints of like tons of like no like well known shows, NYPD Blue, Dragnet, Without a Trace, Ghost Whisper, Bones, which I think was actually two episodes, uh, Castle, um, and Get Shorty. Isn't there a Get Shorty show that was like in 2017, like for a couple years with like Chris O'Dowd uh, in it? Yeah, I th- I think yeah, so. Yeah, she was in that Get Shorty. Um, and then a couple movies here and there, like The Occupants, Girl Followed. So she's been pretty active, but like primarily uh, TV work. Um, but I wanted to make sure I brought up, uh, you know, because in the movie, as we'll find out, you know, Angela does not get on with uh, with Meg or Judy. But the actresses, Felissa Rose, uh, Karen Fields and Catherine Comey, they, are, they all actually got along well. So it's kind of funny that in the movie they're like, Basically, the two of them are ganging up on Angela, but in real life, not so much. Isn't that weird? They're acting. Anyways, next person is Ronnie, my favorite character in the movie. Uh, you may know him as the buff, uh, I guess, head camp counselor guy. Yeah. As, as played by uh, Paul D'Angelo. Uh, he was in a comedy called Waitress. Um, well, I guess it's called Waitress because it's got an exclamation point on it. Uh, he was also in Silent Madness. Um, the real thing, return to sleepaway camp, uh, destination fame, you know, not a huge uh, resume for him, but but some some items um, and a couple of real fast ones. Mike, who is like the ringleader of the alternate group that kind of is opposed to Ricky's group and weirdly enough, doesn't die, which I was surprised that Mike didn't die. But uh, uh, played by Thomas E. Vandell uh, acting. He had uncredited appearances in the Muppets Take Manhattan and Heaven Help Us was in Under the Bed. But he had a lot more uh, producing work, or at least more notable producing work. He produced Return to Sleepaway Camp, uh, Destination Fame, which was one of the ones I listed for Paul D'Angelo, Ronnie. But uh, also We Summon the Darkness, which is a recent and kind of underrated, in my opinion, horror movie. Mm -hmm. If you've seen We Summon the Darkness. So there's that one. Uh, Next up is Billy. Uh, It's played by Loris uh, Deeran. He has some pretty early work, uh, Housing Project USA, We're Fighting Back. Some episodes of fame it looks like a big one in his career was the starseed in- incident which he acted in but he also uh did costuming work for and i bring that up because he's actually more known for the fashion world he has been like a fashion designer and costumer more often than an actor um i think probably the most notable one is he was brought into the devil wears prada as a uh, guest costumer to make crap whose whose suit did he make i think it was for Stanley Tucci is Stanley Tucci in the devil wears Prada. Yes. Is he then, mm-hmm. then it was him that he made it for. I remember that it was like he had created the suit for one of the characters. Um, so that's an interesting thing is that, you know, may not have had a lot of acting credits, but he definitely did a lot of work with, with in the fashion side of things. Uh, Kenny, one of our victims in the movie is played by John E. Dunn. All he had other than this was seven episodes of all my children. Mozart, uh, as played by Willie Cuskin. I only bring him up. He has no other credits, but I just wanted to make sure I've said his name because apparently that kid was actually being picked on by all the other kids during the filming. Uh, Cause that's the other thing is like, not just Felissa Rose was young in this. Like a lot of these like, like campers were actual teenagers. Yeah, most of them. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. Like, all, like almost all of them were like 12 to 17, which is rare in this kind of movie. Usually you have people in their twenties trying to play teenagers. This one, they did the opposite. But like one of the things that came with that is that they actually picked on this kid, which is a bummer. Aunt Martha is played by Desiree Gould. 
in a, in a, in a performance that I would say goes big for the couple scenes that you actually see her. You can't go home again under surveillance tales of Poe. Uh, she basically had a huge gap after uh, sleepaway camp where she was just uh, uh, doing like regular work. I think she was a real estate agent or something like that. Um, and then she came back and, and did a couple of things like tales of Poe. And I think under surveillance were both after uh, she came back in like the mid two thousands. Uh, Artie, Owen Hughes, nothing else, just this. And then sleepaway camp for the survivor archive footage. So that's it for Artie. Oh, the reason I think I brought that up was because that kid who played Mozart, like it's not just enough to bully him when he was a kid, but he's not listed in the credits for sleepaway camp Four. meaning even if he is in any of that archival footage, they didn't credit him. And I was like, man, even, man. even, even all these years later, you just have to come back at this kid. Uh, ben, the kitchen employee is played by Robert Earl Jones. Like, you know, why I bring him up. Okay. I bring no, him up. Why? <laughs> no, why? Oh my yeah. God. I bring him up because he is the father of uh, Darth Vader, James Earl Jones. Well, one of the Darth Vader version, I guess, like not David Prowse and not Hayden Christensen, but the Darth Vader's voice and also other things. James Earl Jones has had plenty of work, but I thought that was really funny because uh, I saw Robert Earl Jones and I heard his voice and I'm like, there's no way. There's no way. But yes. So 100 um, percent. Tons of tons of. uh Credits in his past uh, big ones include like the sting uh, trading places, maniac cop two. Um, and a fun fact about him is like in uh, 1937, he was actually a sparring partner for Joe Lewis. Oh, yeah. So he's got to be pretty serious. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. And I think the only other one I had to bring up was uh, Frank, the cop as played by Ellen mm-hmm. Breton or Ellen Breton. Uh, yeah. The only reason I bring that up is because he's credited as Frank, the cop. I don't think they ever say his name. You just see a cop who shows up at the camp during every murder. So it's pretty funny. And that's it. Is there anyone else in the cast you want to talk about? Cause I know there were like a lot of bit players that I kind of breezed through. I didn't cover everybody. Um, it's kind of hard to, cause there's so many counselors, so many campers, so many random people. I didn't talk about Susie. One of the other counselors. I didn't talk about Gino, the counselor who's like running Ricky's place, you know, but no, I think I think it's good. I I mean that that pretty much because like th- there's a lot of people that kind of pop in and out, um, a couple counselors, but they're they don't really like. I think they're just they're there to offer like, hey, these kids have adult supervision at some sections. You know what I mean? Yeah, except to to some extent. Except that in many ways the counselors are as bad. <laughs> I'll get into it during the plot synopsis, but there's times where I'm like, is this guy just like a very old camper? It's like, no, he's a counselor. He's just, he's just allowing this abuse to continue. But anyways, there you go. That's the cast and crew for this thing. Um, well, at least cast and crew that I, I brought up. There are others. There's so many people in this. Uh, even like a bunch of like the like at one point, there's just tons of kids running off of a, off the buses and stuff like that. And it's just like family mm-hmm. members of the cast and crew, just like bringing all of their family there to just be extras in that scene and stuff. So no time to go through everyone but i think that's a pretty good cross section yeah for sure a few days later all right um really fast uh thing really <laughs> so or really slow yeah or i'm gonna sit and take my time with it <clears throat> there was a bit of a storm and when we were last recording uh so this is actually us picking up a couple days later so I just wanted to make sure I said that in case anything about our energy was different or if I repeat things that I might have already said. Um, 
just want to make sure that the audience knows uh sometimes when a storm happens shane's dog gets upset and he has uh, to take care of her it's not sometimes it's like every time every time 70 yeah. percent of the time or no 60 percent of the time it works every time pretty much yeah we have to give her but medicine it, it's weird so cool yeah yeah uh the medicine should just be i don't know like uh like alcohol and put the dog to sleep with the alcohol oh jesus <laughs> Yeah, I'm just kidding. Well, don't give don't give animals alcohol. Yeah, no, well, I mean, for sure. I don't think I don't think it would kill them, but I don't think you should do it. Uh, I think eventually. <laughs> well, I think if you give anything enough alcohol, eventually it'll kill it. Yeah, right. That's the that's the beauty of it. It kills us all in time. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, uh, I think that we were about to do the trance, uh, like the I might have already done it, but I'm gonna do it again and do the transition to uh the plot description. So Plot description trans. Uh, what is it? What's the word again? Uh, plot. Eat shit and live, Bill. So we're going to talk, okay, <clears throat> let me get my energy back and smash cut uh, to a sweeping, a sweeping uh, vista of a, of a summer camp in autumn um, for the opening, uh, opening credits. Uh, it's kind of a cool actual like series of shots because it's showing like different buildings and like, um, like the pool and like all of these things, but like it's, it's autumn. So things have become, you know, like it looks very abandoned and overlaid in like you hear like the sounds of people like like kids playing and and everything or singing camp songs and stuff so i thought that was a pretty effective opening um all of these shots of the summer camp eventually going to uh, a sign for the camp camp arawak but it is now for sale and you ask yourself what could have precipitated to leading to this place <laughs> being for sale well let me tell you it's this movie that's why so from there um, we cut to, um, a dude on kind of a crappy boat, like, like a sail. It's like a sailboat, but it's like sitting like really low boat. in the like water. A, yeah. <laughs> like it did not seem like a safe boat. There are two little kids who are arguing the, uh, the boy is Peter. Um, and the girl, which we will later learn is Angela <clears throat> is also there. Um, and the boat is like you know, not able to sustain them. Uh, it seems like it's like sitting really low. Like, obviously there's a chance it's going to capsize. Spoiler alert. It will. <clears throat> then we cut to in the background of the, well, kind of they the rocked same... it over like on purpose. They do. Yeah. Later on. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, but so we see another boat, a motorboat that's driving. Uh, and the, the significance of this is Peter is telling his dad, he wants to be able to water ski. Obviously he can't do that on this like little rickety sailboat. They need a motorboat. So that's kind of why we cut to this other one. Um, each of these people say their names, which is nice. So we know their names, even though they aren't going to matter or exist in the plot afterwards. Uh, Craig's the dude driving the boat. Marianne is in the boat with them. And then there's a girl named Dolores who's on the water skis in the water. Marianne wants to drive. Uh, Craig 
does not want to let her because uh, <clears throat> he's worried about being fired from the camp. So apparently, you know, he's a camp employee. This is like a camp activity. Um, everything seems to come back to this camp. Just remember that. So yeah, the kids, like, like what you said, the kid, the kids come to the side of the boat with their dad. Uh, they tip it. Um, it was a, is a lark. They, they're having fun. They're all laughing about it. Then, uh, back to the motorboat, Craig does let Marianne take the wheel of the boat. Uh, so, you know, this isn't going to go well. He was right to be concerned back to the folks in the water. Uh, there's a man on the shore calling to the dad. The dad's name is John. We find out. Uh, he's just letting him know that it's, you know, time for a doctor's appointment or something like that. And this is the first hint that we get that the, the doctor, the aunt is the doctor. Uh, Cause they're asking about whether or not they're going to be able to see Ricky who was later revealed to be their cousin, mm -hmm. but uh, he's with his father at this time, which becomes important later <clears throat> due to the twist of the movie, which man, it's going to be hard to like talk about the hints without revealing the twist. Yeah. I think we, we agreed last time that we're going to be, dipping into some heavy spoilers um i think like you i don't I'm know probably like, gonna, i'm gonna have gonna to have reveal to, it at one point because yeah. there's something there's some things about how angela behaves that i think are hints towards that so once we get there i'll, I'll yeah. reveal the twist so uh stay tuned for the twist which i will reveal before the actual twist um and, and you know another thing too like i i couldn't tell if this was the ultimate red herring or if it was just so bad, like, you know what I mean? Like the whole time I'm like, is this really what this is? But I'm like, but there's no way this is, you know what I mean? Like it was kind of weird. So I couldn't tell if that was like a good thing or a bad thing, but we can get into that later. I just thought I would get that out of my brain right now. Yeah. That didn't tell me much of anything, but cool yeah. thought, man. All right. Well, <laughs> Jesus, what do, you, what do you mean? I don't understand. Like I, I, the whole time during the movie, they have these like little hints of who, like what's going oh, on. Oh yeah. So you're like, is she and, just like weird or is yeah, this like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct. So I'm like, okay, is did they just do a really bad job at writing this or did they do an immaculate job at writing this? So that's what I'm saying. Like we'll get into it later. Oh yeah. Well, because like, here's the thing, like spoiler alert, the, some, these people are about to die other than one of the kids. Yeah. So that kid being the Angela later in the movie. Mm -hmm. And they send her to the same summer camp where her family died. Yeah. Like, that's and they crazy. think this is cool. So it's like, I can't tell if she's weird, if she's just traumatized, why would you send her here? But that's kind of like getting ahead of ourselves. But yeah. Yeah. Anyways, uh, you know, Marianne, <clears throat> now the helm of this motorboat is turned around yelling to Dolores rather than paying attention to where she's going. Uh, Dolores is like waving and trying to like warn her that she's about to like run into the capsized boat. And then like the man and his kids. So, Craig, uh, Craig, finally, like they finally turn around and see Marianne is trying to turn the wheel. Craig tries to jump in to help Marianne turn the wheel for some reason uh, and, ac and accidentally hits the accelerator. <laughs> you know, classic boat situation. Uh, of course, the boat then plows like like the motorboat like flies into the the capsized boat and runs over two of the people. We'll find out one of the, the dad and one of the kids. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and you, you know, that two of them are dead and not three of them. Number one, because you see one of the kids floating and seemingly unharmed. You see a shredded, uh, life jacket, like bloody life jacket float to the top. One of the, the two kids were wearing life jackets. So, you know, one of them has been shredded by the boat and then you see, uh, the dad, John's corpse floating. So there you go. Two people definitely dead. Also, thank you uh, to Dolores for screaming. Oh uh, you God. killed them both over and over again. So we know yeah. two people died in another three. It's like mortifying. I was like, holy shit. I had to turn my TV down. Dude. Yeah. She screamed so much. Like uh, that was the only scene that that girl was in. And she like 
made sure that you knew. She well, was it was sick. just crazy. The the young, like one of the youngest, like people there had the most sense. Like, please God, someone at least try to help them. Like, I know she was like, someone help them. It's like, yeah, like you could just too, looking around. Like, yeah, everyone yeah, else right. is looking like the, like the the guy, the guy on the. We later learned the guy who was talking to John from the shore, who's telling about the birth or the about the birthday party, about the doctor's appointment. Man, my brain is fried. Why would I think a birthday party and a doctor's appointment are the same thing? Anyways, <laughs> I mean. I, I think we should hold on. We should unpack this. Let's let's. If you want to talk about something, I don't know, man. I my energy's off. That's why I wanted to warn everyone that we like took a couple days to like finish this because yeah. I don't know what's happening to me right now. Anyways, the guy on the shore is John's uh, a boyfriend. Like they they were in a relationship together, mm-hmm. so that's going to be important later for very much uh, awful reasons, like very like '80s sensibilities, like gay panic reasons. But that's going to be important later. But he's like, like, you know, not helping much. Um, interestingly enough, it seems like the unharmed child is a boy. But we later learned that the survivor was bum, Angela. Bum, bum. Like, uh, yeah, that can't be. That must have just been an editing mistake, right? Anyways, yeah. smash cut eight years later. Um, You know, eventually I'm going to look up what a smash cut even is. because I don't even know if that's what that is. But anyways, I think we should just keep it going. You know what I mean? <laughs> It's yeah, like at this cares. point, we, we've we've taken it so far, we just can't let it down now by actually figuring out what it means. No, yeah, it's really it's more important to say something confidently than to know if it's true or not. That's the American yes. way. Um. So, <laughs> so, anyways, uh, there's a there's a lady who uh is the most over the top actor of all time. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, that that's uh, as we learn is is Aunt Martha. Um, but man, she just like. The way she talks is so funny to me. Like, I get that they're trying to say that she's kind of like scatterbrained and kind of like kind of. Yeah, well, totally. Yeah, completely. You know, she's calling out for Richard and Angela, um, talking to herself a whole lot. She said she says, like, what? I packed the whole bag. I'm almost sure of it. Like, it's like every time she says something, then she says an aside to herself, like to comment on the thing that she said. (laughs) So, like, that was a huge thing in, like, what, the 50s and 60s when they made, actually, probably the 30s and 40s and 50s, where they made movies where they would have, like, characters like that or people that would talk. I wonder if, like, her direction was, okay, we need this to be more Wizard of Oz. Like, and I don't know why I felt that way, but, like, kind of how Dorothy has those moments, right? Um, yeah, yeah. It's she's, like, like self-narrating, very... like, like, we yes, can't it, see what's it's happening. It's a very 50s style yeah, of, like, yeah, right. behavior and stuff like that. Something that when you watch those old movies, it's like the artifice level is so high. It's like, I don't believe this at all. There's no person who would ever think or act like that, but you accept it because there's something dreamlike about older movies. It's almost like it existed in another world, but now you're trying to take someone like that, especially considering one of the things that I actually like is how the kids talk to each other in this. It seems like both like, um, like both uh, insufferable, but also like natural, which is exactly how teenagers are. So like to see this, the mom here who is seems like no human being on earth would ever be like this, or I guess the aunt. If we're talking from the point of view of Angela, it's the aunt, but to yeah. Ricky, the mom. So get that out of the way real fast. But yeah, so like the the fact that she seems like from a totally other world would kind of maybe explain, you know, what we later learn is maybe why Angela is so weird. <laughs> or maybe almost certainly why Angela is so weird. And maybe why Ricky is so protective of her. Yeah. Yeah. Like, then what? She's like, come, children, let's be on our way. But then she looks at her hand and sees she has a string tied around her finger. 
It's like, I simply had to remember something, but what was it? And she seems like more obsessed with like the string around her finger than remembering what it was. When what it was was very important. She had to bring their their physical forms that she had filled out. Which and <laughs> super, super cool moment. Like that <laughs> That's you learn they, later of why that was so important. Yeah, why it was important that she did their physicals. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so like telling them like, and make sure you don't tell anyone how you got these. I'm like, uh, well, you're a doctor, right? You like you should be able to do a physical form. Like, why are you being weird about it? It's gonna matter. Um Yeah. Honestly, should we just say it now? Like why Well oh, hold on. So like the other thing too, um uh, I don't know. I I kinda like this like era mystery, right? Obviously if they if someone has watched the movie, they know what we're talking about. But I mean I hope they know. Um but be kinda the, hard it, to miss. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and um at this point, I'm like I'm thinking like okay, like the ant's gonna kill everyone. Like the like this my instant thought Yo, was like, yeah, she I thought, for sure. yeah, she seems like a straight up murder type person. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But instead, um, what she actually is is like way more insidious than that. Yeah, which is even worse. It's like mommy dearest kind of shit. So yeah, it's pretty fucked up. But yeah. in any case, uh, yeah, going on. So the ant gives them their stuff. Uh, we like they go into the camp. So like then this is the scene that I think I mentioned earlier is like where like the buses are showing up and dropping off kids of like all ages mm-hmm. who are just sprinting down the like down the hill towards like the camp. breakneck pace. Dude, yeah, like there's no way that some kid didn't fall and just start like an entire like avalanche of like children flying down the hill. So right. like it was very it was like, man, someone just walk. Like <laughs> this is dangerous. Which is kind of funny because you get like um uh, account like at the time I was like a counselor, an older man, but the counselor we later learn is uh Ronnie, um, who again is my favorite character in this. And then you have uh, uh Mel is like the other guy, and Mel yeah. is like way more concerned about like liability, is like I think instantly he's talking about like making sure no one gets hurt because you know all the money he has. And meanwhile, Ronnie is just like, Stop running, what's wrong with you kids? You're idiots, he's like you know. So that's why I'm like, Ronnie is basically the actual person in charge here. Mel is as the owner. It seems like he's like the new owner of the camp is the vibe you get from him throughout it. Yeah. And he's like more concerned about business than, you know, Ronnie, who actually wants people to, you know, have a fun and safe time at camp. Uh, It turns out that's not going to work for him. Yeah. But what I thought was cool was like, because a lot of these like, I I mean, it it was prevalent in this movie, but a lot of camp movies um, have like really like bad uh, camp counselors. Which, like, I think this movie did a really good job at, like, hey, they're just kind of older kids. You know what I mean? Or, like, young adults. Yeah, yeah. So so they weren't, like, bad counselors. But, um, you know, because I, I feel like a lot of times, like, they try to blame, like, the counselors are just, like, reckless abandon, like, not even paying attention to the kids and stuff. Which which isn't true. Um, yeah, so yeah. I, no, I, 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 I think there's job. a lot more. Yes, I think there's a lot more realism to how, like, counselors were portrayed in this, at least from my camp experience. Um, and then that's why I actually really liked Ronnie because it seems like in a lot of these camp movies, the counselors tend to be just inept too. like even the ones who are in charge, but Ronnie is very competent. Like the idea that he can't seem to like get this murder shit situated. That's going to come up. You don't ever get the feeling that he's to blame for it. It's like, he's usually trying to figure it out, but he's kind of being hamstrung by like circumstances, but like, yeah. he like seems to care about the kids. He wants to make sure people are, are safe like he knows that his counselors are going to act out and he's trying to rein them in but it's hard because like you said they're basically just older teenagers like it's a very like like i said is a very interesting character like i really like the character of ronnie 
Um, so I, that's why I, I kind of want to see the newer one, like Return to Sleepaway Camp, where he reprises his role. Like, I'd like to see how, like, he as a performer has changed over the years. Yeah. But this is where we get our first hint that uh, some gross stuff's happening. So we see the cooks. One of them with lines here is Ben, uh, played by, you know, James Earl Jones' dad, which was cool, Robert Earl Jones. And <laughs> then there's another one, Artie, who is an absolute pervert. Uh, he says some pretty uh, perverted things about kids, <laughs> which uh would get you instantly put onto a watch list yeah and that's the only because i'm like ben is just kind of laughing it off like oh Artie, like i almost think you mean what you're saying it's like he's saying some very sexual stuff about kids dude it's not cool like you should be reporting him <laughs> like it was creepy uh, yeah i was like man like ben like ben i love you man but you are you're not doing your duty here by yeah. like not reporting the Artie here for it but like anyways um at this point we get another character who's introduced so ricky is kind of uh glued to angela's side you get the feeling that ricky's like really looking out for angela which i kind of got the vibe and you tell me if i'm wrong or right i don't know if it's ever explicitly stated but it's clear that ricky has been coming to this camp for a while i get the feeling this is angela's first time coming to the camp yeah which i didn't really get like i didn't really understand that because they're the same age right or is he a little maybe he's a little older and they don't he really explain that. Older, yeah. So maybe that's what it was. This was her first year that she could go, maybe. Um, I don't know if it's that she could go or if it was like, because we also get the feeling that she's very sheltered. So number one, she had a traumatic right. event that happened to her as a child. That would lead to someone being withdrawn anyway. But the way that the knowing the secret about Angela and knowing how protective the aunt is, I get the feeling that she isn't allowed to go out to do much of anything. Right. So I don't think she has a lot of like social outlets. And I think that kind of plays into why Ricky is like always on her side and always trying to help her out, which is why I probably another character that I really like is Ricky, even though he's very annoying, but he's also like very loyal to like helping out his cousin. Um, of course, it turns out he shouldn't have been because his cousin's a murderer. Have I said that yet? That Angela is the murderer? Oh, yeah, like, no. I, I guess we should just we should just spoil it now. Do you just want to we want to do it so that it kind of makes our life a little easier? Yeah, you because know. there's gonna be things here that I'm gonna yeah. have to say, here's why I think Angela's doing this. Yep. So the reason Angela is so sheltered, uh, the reason Angela is so withdrawn is not just the trauma. Angela is Peter. Wait, and, what? Yeah. So the reason we saw the boy child survive <laughs> the boating thing, but then now it's a girl child is because uh, Peter has been forced by the aunt to live as a girl and and call herself Angela. Uh, yeah. And I don't think Ricky knows this because it, like at the point where they reveal that Ricky's away and then the the aunt says something like, uh, Ricky will be so excited. Richard, she calls him Richard. It's like Richard will be so excited to come home and find he has us like a little girl at home or whatever. So the reason so, the aunt did that is because she's like bonkers crazy, and also because she already has a boy, so she wanted a girl. That's the reason given. So like here, here's the thing that like I didn't really get. So like Ricky obviously knew those kids. Yes. Right. So like yes. Like I have cousins. <laughs> like that are that are what? similar of age like that like you would like i feel like you would know right yeah 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 you would know if like you they try to gender swap some of your cousins yeah yeah you so like i feel it. like you would figure it out but i guess maybe like that like they kind of like hint at the um the separation of the aunt and um so ricky's parents so maybe he lived with his dad for quite some time so like you know because you obviously have to grow hair i know i know you know, girls can have short hair. I get it. But I'm just saying, like, it was just kind of strange that he wouldn't be in on the whole thing, right? 
Well, that's why I wonder if that's part of why he's so protective of her. That could um, be it too. Um, because he knows that this isn't the what the life that she would choose. Right. So like, because of that, he's like really protective of Angela and wants to like make Angela feel like at home as much as he can, because right. she doesn't want to be. And that's the thing is like, I'm going to continue to identify Angela as she for sure. Like we don't get any hint for how the character actually identifies. And let's just get this out of the way right now. <laughs> Living life as the gender you don't identify as, or you like that kind of thing does not make you into a murderer. That There's no like, Oh no. Yeah, data of that actually happening. Like it's more likely to lead to like self-harm <laughs> to be forced to live as the gender you don't identify as. So let's just get that out of the way. This is a very wrong headed thing for this movie done almost entirely for shock value for the twist ending. So just want to make sure we say that right out, right out the gate here. Yeah. Off the rip. Yeah. Like let's not even entertain that for a moment, but yep. in any case, there you go. Angela is actually Peter. So there's going to be a lot of reason. There's a reason that I brought that up now and I'll get into it as we move on. So, yeah. So uh, Ricky's friend, Paul is there. Uh, Paul is another important character is Ricky's best friend, pretty much his sidekick and all that. You know, he introduces Paul to Angela. His Paul's going to be Angela's sort of love interest. Um, and then Paul references somebody named Judy. who's going to be very important because even though Judy isn't the murderer, I identify Judy as a antagonist. Because she oh, might for be sure. one of the cruelest human beings in any movie ever. She's terrible. Um, but yeah, so uh, uh, Ricky like explains to Angela that he had dated Judy the previous summer, which is why you know that's going to be important later. Uh, you know, Ricky's explained to Angela like where the cabins are, the rec hall, archery range. Uh, I think Ronnie's shack. Ronnie has a shack where he lives, and explains that to to Angela. So Ricky says like does see Judy, and she's taking talking to like three older guys. Um, and then, uh, Judy's like basically blows off Ricky and Ricky's like, eh, whatever ladies, ladies be trifling as they say. So he just like kind of <laughs> moves on. Um, and this point, like some of those guys are like, who's the, the, the pipsqueak or something like, like talk about Ricky, like, you know, cause he's small, like, but like throughout the movie, Ricky seems like he takes on people much bigger than him and uh, emerges victorious frequently. <laughs> like this kid can scrap. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I, I'm thinking. Like, um, so like I try, I tried to like figure out the age groups. So like, I th I think the counselors were probably college kids, um, college age, maybe like maybe, uh, seniors in high school, um, and then I think the older kids, I I would have to pin them at like maybe, like fifteen, sixteen, um, maybe even seventeen. Well, and, and part of the importance of Ricky being like scrappy, like he is, mm -hmm. is because he is. <clears throat> he is a suspect in the murders in the movie yeah. throughout the movie by other people and including the audience is supposed to believe that. And part of the reason, one, one thing that helps with that is they didn't want, um, cause as I said, I mentioned Felissa Rose was 13 playing Angela at this point. So very young, mm -hmm. they didn't want her to have to do like the murders, like yeah. the murder scenes. So using her hands. So the hands we see on screen, and the reason they look more masculine, which is another hint towards Angela, you know, not being a girl is those are actually the actor who played Ricky's hands. Yeah. He was the one doing like the murder stuff, which is a pretty cool little take. Cause I will say this, the casting for Ricky and, and for Angela, they do look like they could be related. Like they, Oh, look, for sure. Yeah. Like I could, I would believe that they would be cousins. Yep. So I think it's spot on casting. Um, 
But anyways, I was like, I put in my notes is like, uh, yeah, Judy seems like she's going to be insufferable. And she like has like a really weird, like haughty, like strut that she, when she walks, I was like, uh, and then she's like really mean to Ricky, like saying something about like how girls mature faster than boys, which is why she talks to older boys. And, uh, so she doesn't have time for his nonsense, even though she has a ton of nonsense throughout this movie. <laughs> so, uh, problematic, uh, but in the cabin, um, Angela is dropped off at her cabin by Ricky. So she goes in, uh, there's a counselor named Meg who introduces herself. And she's like, also seems like she's going to be mean. Um, which is why she's like the secondary antagonist, I would say to Judy. Cause she seems like she's like Judy's assistant, even though she's a counselor, which is kind of funny. Uh, and then she, uh, introduces another counselor named Susie, uh, who she calls the complaint department. Um, which I, she means to be like, if you have a problem, go to her. Cause I don't want to deal with it. And you get that feeling throughout the movie because Susie is more responsible and kind. Like there's a reason why Susie doesn't get murdered. And there's a reason that Meg does. So let's get that out of the way. So like that, that's another thing too. And I, I thought I was like trying to piece like when this all starts and like, we'll, we'll get there. But like, I don't know if she intended on coming to that camp and killing everyone. Like Angela? No, no. And, and we I, aren't really given a lot of reason for why she did it. Like we're not given a lot of uh hint on motive. I yeah, and I that's something I like kind of struggled with a little bit. I'm like, I wish they would have had some sort of like anything like exposition or something, like you know, maybe that she held a grudge or something. Um, because it honestly it seemed like she kind of wanted to be there, right? So um, you know, I kind of thought of it almost as like just from how like you were saying like how sheltered and and i would say usually um i would take a stab at like that's a terrible pun uh i would take <laughs> i would take a uh a guess you that maybe son of the, a bitch. yeah that the aunt kind of was <laughs> not only emotionally abusive but probably more so right so like i always thought like was that just how she felt like she had to deal with situations right um um so. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Is like I basically there's two ways you can view this, and one is the more problematic one, which is the gender dysphoria leading someone to being like a murderer, or there's the more acceptable, like at least e more easily palatable version, which is, um, you know, trauma inflicted from returning to the place where your family was murdered and then having a psychotic break. Uh, I would like to hope for that one. <laughs> Yeah, but also like trauma from having like an abusive parent parental figure. I mean, that's you can't ignore that. Well, that's the thing is like I think that there's layers of trauma for this kid. Yeah, and oh, then for like sure. to return to the scene of like the, the yeah. in, like the inciting incident of this like life of you know living a lie and all this other stuff. Like, but the trauma of that event I think is there because if you remember in the beginning, uh, I don't know if it was Peter or Angela was talking to their dad and asking if they can go to summer camp. And the dad is like, no, you got to get a little older or whatever. It was so Peter. They, it was it Peter. And mm -hmm. then as we know, Angela is Peter. So yeah, there you go. So yeah. So like, just like thinking of that place and that, like right. that memory, like, I think that's a very strong, mm -hmm. like trauma thing. Granted the murders happen over the course of a long period of time too. So maybe I'm, maybe I should just accept that it's just a movie and it's fake. Yeah, I think, yeah, like, obviously, at the end of the day, like, and, and maybe even when they wrote this, because, like, we have a lot of perspective on this stuff now, because, um, you know, things have progressed, I guess, in society where we're able to talk about these things. 
or I think maybe like when this movie was written, that wasn't as widely um, acknowledged or even, um, I don't know how to, the right way to say this, you know, but, but like, you know, I think like today we're, we're how we have more information available to have like a, a actual discussion about this stuff. Whereas back then I like, like you said, I think it was a shock value. It was just like, it was a crazy plot twist that they tried. It right. was, yeah. And I granted it is an effective twist because I didn't see it coming. But still, I did not time, see like, that coming yeah. at all. At the same time, it is also kind of wrong headed in, yeah. in many ways. All right, back to stabbing. We're doing the work here. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, <laughs> Angela, this is like one of those scenes, like, too. Like, Angela is like on her bed just staring at Judy in a real creepy way. And mm-hmm. I'm like, man, if Angela was like, like 20% less creepy, like maybe she wouldn't get picked on. Like, I don't want to victim blame. I understand picking on, like, kids picking on each other happens and it's terrible. But like, man, like Angela's not helping herself out here. Um, not. And this all. is the point where you know that like Meg is basically buddy buddy with Judy is almost second fiddle to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and Susie actually talks to like says something like, "Oh, this is like Angela is the one that we were taught like Ronnie told us about." So you get the feeling that it's kind of a known thing that Angela's withdrawn and doesn't know a lot of people and all of that. So like, and I kind of wondered if this is the first time that Angela has been around like teenage girls before and i'm wondering if that's like part of this is like maybe some like sexual confusion because she is like staring at them and we know that mm-hmm. gender wise like or at least like not gender i don't really know how she identifies gender wise but uh like her sex is male because it's peter so do we know like her orientation or she's young yet maybe she doesn't know herself so like i was wondering if that was part of this too was like now being thrust in this like unfamiliar situation if that was part of why she was like just staring at everybody. So I was wondering if that was another hint that, you know, Angela as Peter is the, these moments of her just like, like, is it just that she's withdrawn? Is she traumatized? Is she confused? Like there's so many like layers to it and she doesn't give you a lot to work with. Cause she's just staring at them. But uh, Meg seems to have zero sympathy. And it's just like, Oh, we have a real winner here. You know, like she knows that this kid is like presumably traumatized and like withdrawn, but no, she's going to be rude. Cut to uh, an indeterminate number of days later. We're in a mess hall kind of thing. Like, and the kids are really loud. There's some kind of chant going on, just like regular kid stuff. Uh, Meg goes to fetch Ronnie, um, who is like at a separate table with Mel. Um, and this is where it's revealed that like, I think they've been there three days. And uh, Meg says that Angela hasn't spoken and it doesn't seem like she's eaten at all and isn't eating now. Um, so Ron takes Angela in to see Artie to ask Artie the Artie being the perverted cook who we were introduced to earlier. So, uh, yeah, so Ronnie, uh, you know, assumes that like, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, Angela's is homesick. We'll get her something special. <laughs> they go in and Artie's just drinking an entire beer in the kitchen. And Ronnie's like, Hey man, you can't be doing that. <laughs> this is a right. children's camp. Um, and then like tells Artie, you know, make something special for Angela. Cause she's having a hard time or whatever. And Ronnie, uh, you know, even though like, Ronnie's there Artie is still being like kind of a creep like gets straight into Angela's face to be like say hello to her um and now like she looks like she's actually scared because why wouldn't she be Artie is a perv um and uh Ben uh comes in and tells uh Ronnie that there's a, a phone call for him and Mel so Ronnie leaves Angela with Artie big mistake Artie's a pervert we know this he shouldn't have a job with kids so Artie takes uh, Angela into the walk-in freezer to see if there's anything that she wants in there. Again, red flags, red flags here. You know, uh, Ricky is looking for his cousin. So he uh, comes to Meg who explains 
that she's like was taken to the back with Ronnie to like get something special for food. Um, you know, Artie is, you know, trying to pull some law and order SVU shit. He's like undoing his pants while he is like Angela cornered. Um, not gonna, not cool. Luckily Ricky comes in and, and like puts a stop to that. Um, and then Artie threatens him. He's like, you didn't see anything. And they run out and they run out of the walk-in through the kitchen past Mel who owns the place. And then like Mel should know something's up. And Artie's like, I don't know. I guess I scared him. And as then he's Mel's doing like, his belt. Oh, yeah, as he's re- like, as he's putting his belt back on, and then Mel's like, "Yeah, I guess so." It's like, "Yeah, did you do a background check on these?" It's like, "What, what kind of ship are you running here, Mel?" Um, well, here we find out Mel is not actually a very good guy at all. Not at all. Um, so like later on, uh, there's like a huge like pot boiling for corn. Like, how are they going to get that off the stove? That thing was so huge. Yeah, I, I, I. <laughs> Because t- typically you would do that over like a fire, like you would you would have like a, anyways. But yeah, like right, I, yeah, I don't like know, a big, don't... like that's what like corn roast when I was a kid. We had like a yeah. giant cauldron like yep. over a fire. Like what do they yep. do? Like he's doing it on like a regular range. Like there's no chance they would have ever been able to pick that up off of there without spilling some of it. Um, yeah, but yeah. I so they, yeah, it was... they're trying to get this this pot to boil for like a thing of corn. But he's obviously um, not a winner. So like I'm not, you know, what Artie? Yeah. Yeah, no, he's not a brain trust. That's for sure. So, yeah. Um, yeah so, like, uh, uh, I don't know what the event is. I presume it's some kind of outdoor thing because uh, Ben leaves to go get hay for whatever it is, leaving Artie to, you know, tend to this giant pot for corn. Um, so uh, an unseen person enters. And most of these scenes with the killer, for the most part, are done from first person or the or the killer is just off screen. And we're seeing, like, the results of what the killer is doing. So we they don't really ever show us who the person is doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so from a first person thing, the killer goes and uh, hides behind a prep station while, when Artie comes back in, uh, Artie gets up on uh, what a step stool to check the pot. And uh, this time it is boiling. So uh, he's putting a lot of salt in there. Like it feels like too much salt. Um, neither here nor there. I know you need to put salt into for corn, but like, it seems like he's putting a lot of salt in there. Um, but anyways, uh, the the hands uh, that we see, like I said, we see the killer's hands. They push Artie. Uh, so he kind of like falls over, but he's like, there's a shelf above the boiling pot that he like catches himself on. And uh, then he's like, you know, asking whoever, like, I don't know if he sees who did it or not. I get the feeling he doesn't see, but he's like asking whoever it is like, hey, hey, help me out here. Like, what are you up to? Uh, then he's like yelling for Ben because the hands, the unseen person's hands are starting to pull like the uh the stool out from under him yeah so basically they pull the stool out he falls and grabs the pot as he falls and covers himself in boiling water a pretty gnarly scene of like his hands being burnt up his face like he has like some like boy like pulsing boils and stuff like that it's like a kind of impressive effect (laughs) but he's not dead he's alive so it's one of the few slashes like i said where people actually survive their encounters um the camp doctor is there and basically just like the dude's still screaming while he's being wheeled out by paramedics who I think actually were played by real life paramedics in the local town. Cause they didn't have like actors for the paramedics. <laughs> um, so the camp doctor's like, ah, he's probably in agonizing pain, but I don't have the drugs to help him here. So get him out of here. And it's kind of like morbid. Cause they go into like a lot of details. Like, so will he, will he ever be able to see again? It's like, probably not, but I don't know. <laughs> it's like, Man, I mean, he deserves it because he's a perv, but dang. 
But uh, anyways, Artie's out. Mel wants to cover up what happened because he doesn't want the word to get out and for like the uh, children to start, um, you know, getting pulled from camp. So uh, Ronnie advises uh, that the, you know, hey, the rest of the kitchen staff knows what happened. Like people know what happened here. Um, so Mel basically uh, promotes Ben to the new head chef of the camp and offers him what fifty bucks more a week. Yeah. And then to the other ones, like, hey, how about for all you guys, fifteen bucks more a week? And then like all the other guys are happy. So they're just like. It's like, and then uh, Ben says something like funny. He's like, I always thought I already had a little devil in him anyway. I was like, yeah, dude. He was like saying some like really perverted stuff right next to you. And you were laughing about it. And like, he definitely had a devil in him. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So like Mel's just like, all right, you guys get your, your raises. Just don't say any to the kids. So done. So we go to Ricky's cabin and there's so many times, like even though Angela is like the central character here that we get moments of Ricky doing something like hanging out with his friends and stuff like that. Like he's like the ringleader and they're playing some game called mind over matter. I don't know what that game is supposed to do. Um, but this one with uh, the whole thing was the kid was blindfolded and sits up and then he puts his face in another kid's butt. And I guess yeah. that's the fun. That's the joke. <laughs> like I don't really like cool. I guess um, feel kind of bad. Cause it turns out that the kid who, uh, who's, was playing that character Mozart, the nerd kid, was actually being picked on, so that kind of sucks. And this is why I'm like, some of these counselors just like are terrible at their job. So like, the their counselor Gene comes in or Gino, um, he comes in and he's like, ah, so he fell for the old mind over matter trick, huh? It's like, yeah, man, like it was a horrible prank, and you're just like laughing it off, like, all right. So then we get like Ricky's team playing a baseball game against, um, what was it? It was uh, Mike, I think, is the ringleader of the other group. And this is what I was saying is like these the boys in the other group seem like they're like older than Ricky and his his like squad. So it's surprising that they just get like destroyed in like every game and just get like beat up all the time by like Ricky's gang. Mm -hmm. Let me see. Oh, yeah, there's something like uh, uh, Gene. They're playing this baseball game. There's like a lot of betting on it. I think I think that they say like a dollar a run or something like how about five or something like that. Five dollars or five dollars a man. Right. So it's going to be one dollar a man, then five dollars a man. Um, so, um, you know, this, the Ricky's team is, is, is winning. There's like a pretty funny line. That's like one of the more iconic ones from this, which is where like Ricky is like insulting one of the batters and the, and the guy's like, eat shit and die, Ricky. And he's like, eat shit and live bill. <laughs> I laugh. Such a good line. <laughs> yeah. I was like, it hell is. yeah. That was so it actually good. actually came up on my Instagram reels the other day. I'm like, I don't know how the algorithm knows that I just watched sleepaway camp, but I'm not mad about it. That should, be our, um, that should be our episode title eat shit and live yeah. I, don't, I don't know if i can do that but yeah put like can you curse in like the in the well we have an explicit thing on our thing because of our language so why not yeah we'll see but this is actually a kind of cool moment because like mozart's like out there playing some kind of handheld video game like a very 80s style like a like a game and watch thing or something yeah um but like one of the like that build dude like cranks like a a, a pot fly out there and mozart makes the catch like he throws down his like his game and runs and gets it. So they win the game. And then uh, Ricky and Paul have a double play uh, and then win the game, upsetting the other team who, again, I, I made is, are bigger than them. And then the other team is like, don't worry, we'll get them back. So implying there's going to be a series of uh, escalating pranks here, which is kind of what puts Ricky in the crosshairs of Mel for thinking he might be the murderer is because of these like escalating levels of like pranks and violence between the two groups. Um, cut to what I believe is the rec center building. It's like a big open area with like music playing. They have like a canteen, like a, I guess sells snacks. 
And this seems to be like a lot of graffiti on the walls too, which is interesting. Then we get a group of dudes who I think were part of like Mike's squad, um, who are complaining about how there are uh, no babes. And then one of them suggests that they ask Angela, who's like sitting in the corner being really quiet. A uh, very mulleted dude decides to like shoot his shot. Uh, I put in my notes, he's very mulleted. I think we eventually learned his name was Kenny, right? That's Kenny. I think. Is that the canoe one? Yes. I believe yeah. that Kenny is the first, the first murderer. Or first murderer, not the first murderer. In any case, uh, they try to make their move. Uh, Angela just like stares at them. Uh, and then they, then they like, because she doesn't uh, respond to their advances, they start to talk about how she's crazy and like just be mean to her, to her face. Um, interesting tactic. I don't know if that usually works. Let me see. Mel comes in. Uh, he sees Meg at the canteen and like talks to her. And I hadn't noticed that there's a lot of times where Mel and Meg are kind of talking. Yeah. Uh, until later on, like, I guess they, you know, Meg wants to like date Mel, even though he's a very old man and she's a teenager. Doesn't seem cool. But in any case, that, that was like one of the hints that I noticed that, oh, there's something going on there. Uh, Ricky and Paul come in. Uh, Paul, uh, Ricky's wearing like a ridiculous cowboy hat. I didn't understand <laughs> where this came from, but like, hey, whatever, you know. He he comes to Angela's rescue because these guys are insulting her. So it uh, ends up with like a, a huge dog pile. Like all the guys just jump on top of each other. And this isn't the only time guys get in dog piles in this movie. There seems to be many times where guys just jump on top of each other, which is kind of funny. Because that's like one of those things like where people talk about, oh, this is a movie like where most slashers uh, tend to uh, have a lot of female nudity. And this one, it seems like there's more male nudity or at least more male like hyper sexualization. <laughs> like there's a lot of like uh, homoerotic moments in this movie, which is kind of interesting. It's like making a kind of a different statement. So Ricky gets pulled away by Gene uh, and taken back to the cabin. Uh, so he doesn't continue to, you know, get in fights in front of Mel which is important because like Mel saw him like getting that, get, get that fight started. Then Paul noticing that Angela's still there and still alone. Um, he goes and, and starts talking to her and he, they're just talking about all the things that they do, like all of their like exploits. And he also mentions that he knows about her family tragedy. So it's not a big secret. Like even like Ricky knew about it and like had told him about it. And I'm guessing that's the thing that like Ronnie had told the counselors. So you think there'd be a little bit of sensitivity from counselors about that, but no, they aren't any it's the 80s it was before things like mental health mattered um so uh judy um despite being with the retinue of boys and by that i mean i think she has two like one on each side of her there and if you watch i think that between scenes that change the guys change which is kind of funny like i'm assuming that's a continuity error but it also is kind of like a cool like comment on how judy just always has guys around her yeah <laughs> yeah but uh judy scoffs you get the feeling that for some reason, she hates the idea that Angela might like, might actually be talking to somebody. Uh, in any case, uh, Gene comes in, says, you know, buck 19, we got to leave. And that's Paul's bunk. That's Ricky's bunk. So, like, you know, Paul says goodnight to Angela. Angela says goodnight. Shane, first words spoken 31 yeah. minutes into the movie. <laughs> it was great. It's a great line. Yeah. Which, again, Judy <laughs> is not happy about her now speaking. Um, yeah. Even though she was also giving me a hard time about not speaking, but now she's not happy about her speaking. Can't can't please Judy at all. Cut I, can tell you, I can tell you don't like Judy. Who me? Yeah, she's terrible. She's a horrible person. <laughs> um, so we cut to the uh, the lake now. Uh, Billy basically trying to convince some girls to go into the lake with him and his guys. The girls refuse 
and then the guys all like take off their clothes and run in skinny dip. So all of those guys are there. Uh, two of the guys from earlier, one of them is Kenny, and I think the other one is Mike, because I think Billy was one of the ones who went swimming. So I think that the other guy is Mike, the the Mike who actually doesn't die in this. So they wanna they were like getting high by the canoes, and uh, so like uh, you know Kenny and and Mike are trying to get one of them to go into the canoe with them. Uh, the girls, you know, suspecting that Kenny's up to something, refuse, but they say that Leslie, someone named Leslie, will be there, and she'll probably go in there. Um, so then Leslie does. She goes into a canoe with Kenny, and he he's telling her about how, oh, there's snakes and snapping turtles in the water uh, in order to scare her, and then he tips the canoe on purpose, so the girls were correct to assume that Kenny was up to something. Yeah, so Kenny's just, like, swimming. He goes into the capsized canoe uh, to, like, sing a song and, like, continue to taunt leslie i guess taking advantage of like the acoustics under the canoe leslie gets to shore and then her and the and the girls leave the other guys are like yelling for kenny to come before like ronnie gets there but they're concerned about you know ronnie finding them out at night so they just leave him there it's like ah, oh, kenny will be fine i'm sure he won't be murdered uh he was uh murdered because the killer surfaces and we see the killer from the back the killer has dark hair but we don't see who it is and then like Kenny recognizes the killer. He's like, Oh, you know, it's you or whatever. Like, or though the guys love to see you here or something like that. Then the killer drowns him, like push, pushes his head underwater. Um, and again, the guys had abandoned him. So they don't know that he's dead. Um, in the morning, a lifeguard is there cleaning up the mess and is pretty, uh, displeased about it when they, what flip a, an account, the canoe is on the shore there. And he discovers, uh, Kenny's body, which at this point is kind of mangled. Uh, a lot of damage for one night. <laughs> and it's pretty gross because a snake like crawls out of his mouth. It's like, I didn't need to see that. <laughs> that was a pretty gruesome. Yeah, uh, that was a cool. That was a cool scene, though. It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just didn't expect it. Like, yeah, no, it was an actual snake crawling out of yeah. it. I'm assuming it wasn't a real person. That must have been like a, you like never a know. dummy or something. Yeah, they just hey. had a guy had like a, hey, a, don't call him a dummy. Mouth. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> Uh, so there we have like, uh, uh, Mel is now talking to, uh, the cop, uh, Frank, the cop, as we learned from, <laughs> from the credits, um, the tank. and he's like really pushing like, Oh, it's an accident though. Right. And the cop's like, Hey man, uh, the autopsy will tell us. And he's like, Oh, I think it was an accident. And then like Ronnie tries to say something and Mel's like, no, 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 it's an accident. It's an unfortunate accident. And then like Mel is like, now I have to go tell the parents that this kid is dead and he like leaves and like, shouldn't the cops do that? <laughs> like, why is he the one who has to do it? Uh, in any case, and the cop is like, Hey, Hey, Ronnie, like, what were you trying to say? <laughs> like when Mel interrupted you, he's like, Hey, yeah. Like I remember that kid being a really strong swimmer. So it's like the first hint that like, they're like, something's going on here. So where are we at now? Oh, the girl, there's like a bunch of girls playing volleyball. Um, Angela sitting it out. I put in my notes <laughs> in all caps. Judy is wearing a shirt that says Judy, which is Shocker. pretty funny in case you forget who Judy is. She has an entire shirt that tells you who she is. You know, Paul is there and he's, he uh, greets Angela and they actually sit and are, are talking to each other about stuff. Like, you know, Paul's explaining that he was defeated by Ricky at tennis. And, uh, you know, for whatever reason, like Paul is able to get Angela to open up. What is it? Paul asks uh, Angela to go to a movie with him at the rec hall. And Angela is like, well, we have to go anyway. Uh, but he makes it clear that he wants uh, them to go together. 
Uh, and this is another, this is the first of many instances where Judy just has no chill about this idea. Uh, and then goes to, um, goes to Meg and says, why do we have to play volleyball? But, uh, Angela can just talk to boys all day. Like if Paul's been here for like 40 seconds, <laughs> like he hasn't been here long. So Meg, you know, takes the opportunity to go and like give Angela shit for that. Um, luckily Susie comes and is like, Hey, it's not a big deal. Like Susie tries to smooth it over. And then Susie, like, you know, then is like, Hey Angela, I want you to like join in or whatever. And then, uh, Angela says she doesn't mind just watching them play. So, uh, lets them, you know, go back to it. And then I put in my notes that then Meg goes and does a serve and it might be the worst serve in all of volleyball history that I've ever seen. <laughs> like I'm not a volleyball expert, but my God, that was a terrible serve. You're not a volleyball doctor. No, that's true. I don't have a, I don't have a PhD in volleyball science. So then uh smash cut ending of the movie, not this movie, but a movie that they were watching. Uh, <laughs> there's like the ending sting of a, of a soundtrack in a movie, some clapping, the lights go up and people almost immediately are leaving. I was like, man, I've never seen people depart in a location with such swiftness. You know, Paul and Angela are walking, holding hands. And he offers to walk her back to her cabin because he's sweet, or so we think. Uh, then Judy immediately is behind them and is, uh, you know, so focused on them. What is it? She ignores Ricky trying to make a move on her because Ricky's like, you know, hey, remember all the good times we had last summer? And she's like, can't allow this. And like storms past like Paul and Angela back at Angela's cabin. Paul's like, I have to show you something around back. I'm like, ooh, like I see what he's gonna do. He's gonna try to lay one on her, like real crafty. Like I'm sure there's nothing back there that you would have to show her. Uh, so he uh, gives her a smooch. Uh, she seems alarmed, which again I think is one of the hints about what's going on here. And then he asks her for another goodnight kiss, even though you know he didn't actually ask her for the first one. He just kissed her without her being ready for it. Uh, but yeah, so he kisses her again, um, and then. Whenever they like, come back around, uh, Judy is like there because I feel like Judy is always there. If, if uh, Angela and Paul are together, Judy's always there and says something to uh, Paul about, hey, I didn't think that Angela was your type. It's like, what? I don't know what that means, but I guess quiet instead of Judy, which I think I get the feeling that Paul and Judy have something going on, um, which we later see is kind of true. But I don't think there was at that point. No, I don't think so either. But but I think like because even in the first scene, he brings up like a, like about her like growing up, kind of like I don't want to be creepy, but he makes a crude reference to her chest. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. what he does. Like, yeah, you. I mean it's not. I mean he said it. It's not your fault. Yeah, that he said I, I know. It. Like, I'm just trying not to be like. But no, he does. Yeah, yeah, so he has made reference to the fact that he uh, at least uh, has a physical interest in her. Um, but anyways, back at the boys' cabin, Ricky, uh, being the ringleader of a bunch of nonsense, is doing a shaving cream on the hand prank on Mozart. <laughs> it works. They get Mozart to hit him himself in the face with shaving cream. And Mozart instantly pulls a knife, like a hunting knife. Yeah. And starts chasing Ricky around with it. It's like, I guess this is like one of our like red herrings. It's like, oh, there's the knife. Like, maybe Mozart is our murderer. It's like, well, not really, because we saw that the murderer had dark hair and Mozart has blonde hair. But... You know, Gino, uh, you know, shows up the the counselor and takes the knife, and it's kind of an interesting moment because Ricky, like, whenever like Gino takes Mozart's knife and like his like puts it away, says he can have it at the end of the summer. Ricky's like, "Oh, come on, he didn't mean it." It's like, "Hey, he was trying to stab you." And now you're like defending as like his right to bear arms, I guess. Like Ricky's a real constitutionalist. He's like, but we're, um, we're best friends now. 
He tried to <laughs> yes. kill me. <laughs> yeah, sure, truly though. Uh, so yeah, then uh, you know, uh, Gino say, like, "Hey, everyone, you all need to go to bed, including you, lover boy." Like uh, pointing at pointing out, Paul has finally arrived back there, and then everyone throws their pillows at Paul, and then everyone dogpiles on him. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was saying. Like, what a weird. Mo- I don't understand this. Like, this dynamic between these dudes. Has that ever like happened to you? Ever? Have I ever uh, had a bunch of people throw pillows at me and then dogpile me? No, that's never happened. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. Because me. Has that happened was, to you? No, I just was making sure that I wasn't like a weirdo or something. Yeah, no, I think the weirdos are these guys. I think that uh, they're the weird okay. ones. Fair. Thank you. Yep. No, you're good. So what do we have here? By the lakeside, uh, Angela is sitting there. You know, this is like another thing is like she's really close to the place where her family died. That's the lake where they died. Um, Paul sneaks up and, uh, you know, covers her eyes and does like the guess who thing. And she guesses Tom Selleck, which seems unlikely. Then Judy <laughs> instantly is there. Like, I think Paul barely has time to sit down before Judy, like, like, like walks up on them. And then uh, she goes. Judy goes to Meg and says something like obviously some kind of scheme or to get like Meg to like, get pissed at Angela. So like then Meg comes over and asks Angela why she won't go in the water, which again, she knows why, right? Like, like they, the camp know that her family died tragically here. Like, why would she be like this? Um, so Meg, Meg is becoming increasingly unhinged and still she's like screaming and shaking Angela. Yeah, which is weird. not okay as an employee of this establishment you shouldn't be doing that so ronnie again like being a man of reason is like what is happening why are you doing this like you can't be shaking kids at your when you're a camp counselor or whatever back at the girl's cabin uh judy had just come out of the shower in some kind of robe and starts causing a fuss about how angela got meg in trouble uh, which, you know angela correctly identifies that she didn't do anything that meg is the one who is like shaking her and then judy throws a pillow at, Me- at or judy throws a pillow at angela who catches it and then judy's mad and like give me my pillow back or whatever and it's like you threw it at her <laughs> like judy is like the master of creating problems right then she like takes umbrage with so then this is like one of those scenes where judy is just also being awful she's like angela never showers with the girls we know why that is now uh, but she's speculating that maybe Angela is gay or maybe she hasn't hit puberty and she says some really uh, crude stuff uh, which gets Susie to step in to be like yo you can't be saying that because like she says like she needs a screw or something like that yeah it's which Carpenter's is, dream yeah yeah is that what it was yeah something like that flat, uh, bald flat and just ready for a screw or something like that yeah something like really awful and then Susie's like you can't do that and then Judy says fuck you to the counselor who slaps her. It's like, what did you think would happen, Judy? Like, you can't, like, ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, so she gets uh, slapped by Susie, which makes sense. Finally. Back at, yeah, seriously, like, someone needs to, like, put her, like, in her place. Granted, she ends up getting murdered, so I guess that that is Well, we don't know extreme. that. That's true. It is, I mean, the short film version that is a sequel seems to suggest she didn't die somehow. <laughs> But anyway, uh, the cabin of Ricky's enemies, like I think it's Billy is, or is it Billy or Mike? I think Mike is the ringleader of that group. Um, they're having like a water balloon fight on the roof of their cabin. Um, and then when they see Angela is is walking by, they stop and then throw a water balloon at her. Uh, Ricky loses his shit and is like screaming at those guys. Um, Mel comes and then, you know, 
holds Ricky back. So this is like one of those times where like Mel seeing that, you know, Ricky is a real literally like fighter boy. Like he's going to go after people, which is what makes Mel suspicious in him. But he also tells the other boys to get off the roof because obviously that's stupid. Uh, to be, and uh, basically what, what is it? Mel tells them all they don't get canteen for a week for picking on Angela. And also Ricky doesn't get canteen for a week for his filthy mouth. Cause Ricky is always constantly like talking trash. So yeah, all those guys are like jeering about Angela. Um, and then I put my notes, which means some more of them will surely die because <laughs> anyone who picks on Angela pretty much ends up dead, which we know why obviously, but at this point in the movie, we don't actually know who the killer is, which I thought was cool though, because that, that really, they made her so awkward that it like, cause it like if initially you're like, it's definitely her. And then they did such a great job at pointing it towards Ricky. They do. Um, yeah. And like and it, having the masculine hands, like having it be his hands that do the murders. Yeah. really helps. Ripping and gripping, bro. Could you hear that? That was just Oh yeah. <laughs> Leaving that fucker in there. Yeah, I guess. Uh, are you going to edit that out? I don't know. I was, oh, hell no. <laughs> just I can't because you were literally talking over it. <laughs> uh, well, whatever. Anyways. Yeah. Just grabbing a, a beer here. But anyways, um, so where were we at there? Um, oh yeah, Mel. Well, now you got to say what kind of beer you got to let's let's uh, let's talk about our sponsor. Um, I was actually having some uh, Fat Heads. Um, uh, what was it? Fat Heads Fresh Hop Freddy IPA was what I had. So good. Um, but I've actually moved on, and I have now. It's a from Trogues. It's a Lolly Hop uh, Double IPA. That so, one's pretty good. It's good. It's a little, a uh, little hoppy even yeah. for me. Um, but it's not bad. So yeah, just having a couple of beers, enjoying the Sunday afternoon here. Um, so um, I love Fatheads. I miss their food so much. Like uh, they had some of the best sandwiches you can get around here. But um, did you pick up that new uh, Southern Tier IPA pack that they were doing? Um. Yeah, I think I got it one time for I was going to like a party. Is they're like a fifteen pack, right? Like a like a weird number. Yeah, it's like they're assorted like new flavors or new um not flavors, but like new styles of IPAs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, I think I got it. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. I like the there's a lot of innovation going on in the IPA space, even though it's such like a like oh you're a dude in your thirties, obviously you like IPAs. <laughs> it's like I mean I do. What can I say? Yeah. So as maybe I am in my flannel shirt and uh no, I'm just kidding. But as we say on our podcast. Yeah, yeah, I know. Jesus. So there you go. We're just like yeah. Anyway, yeah. Check my uh, boxes. Yeah. <laughs> uh so, so what was it? Uh, Mel kind of like half-heartedly checks on Angela to make sure that she's okay after being hit by a water balloon, which obviously is just a water balloon, like chill out a little bit. Um so back in the in the rival boys cabin, uh Mike, the ringleader of the group, comes in. The other guys are getting ready for a baseball game against the counselors, uh, but Mike says he has to take a wicked dump. Um, then while he's in there taking a dumper in the stall, uh, the mysterious unseen person, <laughs> I put that in my notes, mysterious unseen person, uh, puts a broom handle, uh, like it looks like a broom handle anyway, uh, through like the door handles of the stalls so that they can't be opened, um, or at least not easily opened. Uh, then you see like from the outside, a hand like reach up and start to cut a hole in the screen. And Mike can hear this. He's like, yo, what are you doing? Like, who's doing that? Uh, and then the mysterious unseen person. Why did I put that in my notes multiple times? Mysterious unseen person. I don't know. <laughs> I need to 
make my notes are weird. But anyways, uh, the mysterious unseen person uh, then holds a beehive in the window, uh, which is my nightmare. I hate bees. Um, I've had multiple times where I've encountered yellow jacket nests and I've been stung like a dozen times each time and I hate it. All while pooping? No, well, no, neither <laughs> time was while pooping. Like, that would be even worse. That'd be the worst time to get bees. Like, Jesus, this would suck. No, I think but one time I stepped on a yellow jacket nest when I was trying to avoid people who were coming to uh, mark off where the yellow jacket nest was. So it was a real, <laughs> a real uh, like f- self-fulfilling prophecy. I found it, guys. <laughs> yeah, they were like, it's like, and then one guy said, like, oh, did you get stung? It's like, yeah, but I moved off the road because you guys were driving a golf cart and you made me move onto the nest. And then I got stung up my shorts. So I had to like run into the bathroom and I like it was like like a it was like a metal festival in a forest. So it was like a summer camp style built like area. So I had to go into the bathroom and like start taking off my clothes because I needed to see where the bees were in my shorts. And I remember like the someone had just taken a shower. So it was really hot in there. So my glasses steamed up so I couldn't see. And this guy was in there. He's like, what are you doing? It's like bees are up my shorts. And he's like, bye. And ran out. <laughs> so I can't see. There are bees stinging my inner thighs. And this guy just abandoned me there. So yeah, that was a situation. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry that this isn't the bee cast, but that's what I had to say. It was like this bee situation. So I get where Mike's coming from, like with this bee stuff. Yeah. Um. So then they, the mysterious unseen person, drops the beehive into the stall with Mike. Uh, Mike's trying to get out. He like breaks through the door handle, but by then he's covered in bees and he's stung to death. And it's a pretty gruesome scene of like a bunch of bee stings up his arms and his face is like covered in bees and stuff like that, which was actually kind of an interesting effect in order to get the bees to stay there. They had to like cover it with like sugar, like cover the dummy head with mm-hmm. sugar. So the bees would like congregate on the face like that. So like I've, I've been stung multiple times <laughs> and when, when they panned over to the corpse with all of those bees on him, I'm like, I'm like, all right, well, it could have looked, I, and I maybe I don't know, I should have looked it up, but I, I just don't think you would look like that after all those stings. But it was a, it was a neat effect. Yeah, no, that's not how bees. I don't think that's how bee stings actually work, and I also don't think that's how bees would behave if they were seeing a person that they wouldn't carry on the face. It yeah. was just a cool effect. Um, Agreed. But anyways, uh, he's dead. Um, Mel is convinced that the camp is finished and wants to send everyone home. And this is the only time Ronnie makes a bad call. He says, no, like, let's just finish out the summer. You know, we'll consolidate bunks. And then uh, Mel says something like, that'll make it easier on the killer if we consolidate bunks. And Ronnie pushes back against that because at this point, there could still be accidents. I don't know how you'd say that the beehive falling into the <laughs> into the stall while Mike was having a dump would, like, be an accident. But, um, but Ronnie is basically pushing back against this idea and... I get the so you get the vibe at this point that because of the number of people who've died, people are actually being like leaving the camp, right? Because that's part of the reason there's so few people is because like after two deaths and one serious accident, parents are starting to take their kids out of camp. Yeah, but yeah. So uh, uh, Mel Mel at this point hints that he thinks that Ricky is the killer. He says he's like I've seen the hate in his eyes or whatever. For whatever reason, he thinks that it must be Ricky because Ricky's so defensive of Angela. Which honestly, not too far off, considering that Angela is the killer. So it is people who are picking on Angela who die. So, anyways, uh, then we have a cut to Angela outside at night. She's like looking around 
trying to find somebody. We have an unseen person approaching her, but it's just a jump scare. Like, it's just a, a, a Paul jump scare because it's just Paul who's come out there to greet her. And she says, I thought you were the killer. I'm like, okay, we know who the killer is. Don't pretend that you don't know that you're the killer. So uh, they go down to the lake. What is it? Paul tries to make a move on Angela, but she like does some uh, ninja moves and like trips him and pushes him down. Uh, and then she runs away. So they have like this little chasing where he chases her down. So then uh, they like fall and then he like uh, is kissing her while on the ground. But this is why this is one of the more problematic things. So Paul's like trying to like undo her top without like her permission. So she's like trying to stop him. Uh, and he's like, what? I'm not doing anything. I'm like, oh, Paul, you're supposed to be the good guy here. Like, why are you doing this? Um, and this is like I put in my notes cut to gay panic. So at this point, we have a we have like a um, a flashback where Angela and Peter are watching their dad who's in bed with his boyfriend. And this is what I think I told you separately is I think the idea is that this is like they're gay and they're in bed and oh, what a big thing or whatever. But like the scene isn't like uh, graphic. They're just in bed, like like having like having sharing a kiss. Like it's not even really that serious of a situation um so that's i guess it's probably just shows how like ideas relating to like scenes with gay people and it have changed over the years um so were they the, twins peter and angela you know i get the feeling they might have been yeah i get the feeling they might have been like the exact same age and this is what I, I don't really understand what they're trying to suggest here so like angela and peter are watching and they're both giggling while their dad is in bed with his boyfriend like all right kids whatever but then there's like another scene with her and Peter, like, or like Angela and Peter sitting like on a bed, like looking at each other. And I can't tell if they're trying to imply this is what I'm saying. Like, this is where the movie starts to get really wrongheaded in a lot of ways, because I think they're trying to imply that because their dad is gay, they are confused and might be incestuous or something now. <laughs> See, I, like, I took it a whole different way, but. Well, how'd you take it? Because I didn't know what that scene was trying to say. So I don't think there were two people there at all. I think this, I think it was just Peter. And I think, I think this is a representation of his mind fracturing. So if you, if you look at the scenes, it's always the boy pointing at the girl. Right. Um, And I, and I think with that in internally, I don't think it's a flashback. I think, I think this is, I think this is, uh, Angela's mind fracturing in response to what happened to her, right? Um, you know, because like Paul was not chill about that at all, right? And no, I, no. I think I think that triggered something inside of Angela or Peter, and um, I think that was trying to be more of a representation of the um, like I think that was something that he had seen, like um like his, his dad and his partner. And, um, and I think that the two on the bed, I don't think they were brother and sister. I think, I think that was Peter's internal, uh, like personality, like struggling with itself. That's how I took it. Um, and, and like, I think it was, cause like for me, if it was more of like that, they were doing weird stuff because like they were really little when they died. Like when, when uh, the actual Angela and the dad died and the kids in the scene are a lot older, which didn't make a lot of sense to me. Are they, um, were they? I thought so. They were really mm -hmm. tiny, like 
But again, you didn't really get a good look at them because they were they were in like life jackets. But like to me, like I didn't take it that way. I took it more of as like because then it kept spinning and spinning and spinning. Um, I, I think it was more of a mental breakdown rather than than a um, flashback. But I, I could be wrong. Um, so the point of the gay dad thing was just because Angela, being Peter, is confused now that she's being kissed by Paul. Then that's that's how I took it. Like. I think that that moment like triggered something like when they first kissed, like, cause you, in any you, case it's gay yeah. panic and it's bad. <laughs> oh no. Not- yeah. It, it, I think it is, but like, well, I mean like, okay, like it, it is bad. Gay panic's bad. But I, I think like I, if you were to put yourself in someone's shoes, like as a kid, like, you know I mean? They were what? 13 or 14. Like, I think that's very confusing for anyone. Right. So, I mean, not to, defend anything or but i it just to me like i felt this more was a representation of angela fracturing than um an actual flashback that'd be slightly less wrong-headed at least i guess i mean still well, there's gay panic there but at least it wouldn't be like because i didn't know what that scene was trying to imply so i was like so i don't I'm, think i like it but if that's what you're gonna go with then i'll go with that interpretation because i like that better than the well, implication that like because they have a gay dad then they were sexually confused <laughs> it's like it's not really that that complicated right yeah i just wanted to be very clear that my my stance was not that gay panic is good i just don't want us to come off as we're attacking a kid because they don't understand their sexuality that's all that's all i was getting at no and uh, but like here's the thing the kid's a murder <laughs> like that's yeah yeah and the no, fact for, that, for sure like being confused about your sexuality is normal it's human like yes. people have like you know i think that I'm not a gender studies person, but I know mm-hmm. that the like fluidity of like the like sexuality spectrum is a real thing, but yep. that doesn't excuse you killing people. <laughs> like, no, agreed. Yeah, oh, go, totally. Let me let me uh, let me go ahead and take this stance. <laughs> if yep. you if you if you have trouble with your sexuality, you need to sort it out. Do it, but you can't go murdering people. Yeah, you can't put bees in a kid's dun, uh, dun, dun, The more you know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, all right. What do we get here? So yeah, after the, the, like that scene, which I, I kind of like your reading of it a little bit better than, than mine. So I'm going to actually go with yours. So like that was maybe like the sexuality thing kind of confusing them. Like, even though, like I said, doesn't usually lead to murder, but still, um, or ever <laughs> lead to murder really. Um, but yeah, so after that, Angela runs away cause Paul is not taking no for an answer, which is not cool. Paul, you're supposed to be the good guy um smash cut gene is explaining the rules of color war uh which is funny because we don't need to know like they the movie like has a lot of scenes that are there for a reason but there's really no reason they need us to know the rules for color war like the flag football style game they're playing right i I don't know if they just like like hey we haven't given gene enough uh, screen time let's just let him explain the rules to a game that's literally only going to matter for like the next two minutes of movie and then we're done with it so paul uh comes to uh somewhat apologize to angela uh, but then he tries to put his arm around her which she uh advises she's not ready and leaves it's like yeah paul like give her a break like he just you know she just ran away from you the other day but of course, who's there? Judy, because Paul was close to Angela. And she immediately is like laying it on thick with Paul, saying that Angela is small and that Judy knows lots of things, I think she says, uh, implying probably uh, sex stuff. Um, 
Ricky uh, catches up with Angela and he is all about this game and he has a plan to get the flag and she wants to leave. But he's like, hey, if you help me end the game sooner and we win, then you can be done. It's like, and that somehow convinces Angela to help Ricky with his scheme. But of course, in the woods, Ricky stumbles onto uh, Judy uh, and Paul kissing. And on the other side is Angela who comes in and sees. So Paul's in hot water now. And Judy finally got what she wanted, which seems to have been Paul all along. Um, I guess or just a just to piss uh, Angela off, honestly. That's it's, yeah, it, like I, I wouldn't put any of that past Judy. Like I said, she sucks. I hate her. So, <laughs> I mean, kudos <laughs> that actress for making me like hate that character so much because she's killing yeah. the game over here. Uh, so later on, uh, once again, Angela is by the lakeside, and Paul goes to apologize to her again. Um, Judy is again immediately there. Like Judy is some kind of like ninja. Like she has an alert that lets her know anytime Paul is coming near Angela because she is there. Um, so uh, she says to Angela that Paul said she's a prude. Um, and, you know, Paul then flees because he's annoyed. Um, and Judy is taunting Angela about going into the water. And Angela is just staring at her in her Angela stare. Let me see. I think Ricky is nearby and he's talking to Mel. And Mel, of course, at this point, is 100% in on the on the theory that Ricky is the murderer. Mm -hmm. So uh, Ricky uh, is like kind of just offhandedly saying, hey, it sucks that like there aren't a lot of guys around. It's hard to get a ball game going or whatever. And, you know, Mel is like, oh, does it suck? Does it like because Mel thinks he's the murderer. Meanwhile, Ricky's just like, hey, it's hard to play baseball. So these guys are not communicating with each other in a <laughs> in a good way. Let me see. Judy is, uh, is still taunting Angela when she is joined by her sidekick, Meg, who uh, picks Angela up to carry her to the water. And Judy is just following, like taunting Angela. And this is uh, pretty messed up, knowing that they should know that Angela probably has a traumatic like relationship with this water. And Ricky wants to go save her. But Mel is like holding him back. And is accusing Ricky of doing the murders and says, you'll jump in to save her all the time. It's like, yeah, dude, it's her cousin. And she's about to be thrown into the water. It's like Mel wants there to be another death at his camp. Cause, yeah, really? Because like Angela's saying she can't swim, even though we know that's not true. But yeah, she's she swims that. very well. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, like, uh, uh, let me see. What is it? Ronnie, again, I proving he's the only real one is what it says in my notes. <laughs> so Ronnie proving he's the only real one uh, runs in and stops Mel from holding Ricky back. He's like, what are you doing, dude? So like, uh, but by that point, Meg already has Angela on the dock and uh, tosses Angela into the water. Uh, the lifeguard runs over and, and pulls, uh, you know, pulls Angela out. Um, Meg and Judy are just laughing about it. And the lifeguard is like, Meg, you're a real peckerhead, which is yeah. such a, such a funny reaction for the lifeguard. Meanwhile, he did see Meg carrying like a kicking and screaming Angela to the dock and could have probably stepped in before she was tossed in. But yeah, you get the vibe that like Meg is hated among even the other the other people who work at this place. Oh, but then when Ricky like has Angela is trying to comfort Angela and like take her these little kids on the near the beach just start throwing sand at her. Which is kind of funny because there's like a. Like one of the light, like, I don't know if it's an instructor for those kids. It's like, all right, you little monsters, stop it. It's like, yeah, they are little monsters. They're throwing sand at the girl who almost just drowned as far as they know. 
And uh, Ricky, again, uh, making sure that people are suspicious of him as the murderer, says, don't worry, we'll make them all pay. It's like, Ricky, you shouldn't be saying stuff like that when people are getting killed. So then we have a cut to uh, nighttime. Uh, Ronnie is having a meeting with the counselors at his um, at his shack. And this is kind of to set up like the pieces for the finale of the of the movie, because at this point it kind of moves into a breakneck pace of murders. So Meg and another guy have the night off. Uh, uh, One dude named Eddie has to take the little darlings, which is what they call the little kids on a lakeside camping trip. So they're going to leave uh, the safety of like the um, the cabins and that's kind of like setting up where everyone's going to be. Uh, Meg, now that she has the night off, uh, makes her move on Mel. Uh, goes and says, hey, you said you'd take me to dinner. And Mel's kind of dismissive because, like, I mean, why wouldn't he be? This is a significantly younger woman than him. And is like, oh, like, okay, yeah. So, like, let's have dinner tonight or whatever. Um, so uh, Meg goes back to her cabin. Shower line is really long since the cabins are consolidated now. So there's mm-hmm. more people. Um, and so Meg, like what asks Judy, if the, uh, the other side of the cabin still has water, if it'd been turned off and they say they think there is water. So she's going to go to that side to shower alone. And, um, uh, obviously perfect way to get murdered is to shower in a, uh, unfamiliar place, but also has access by other people. So we see like the cabin door open and a shadow walking to that side while Meg is showering. Um, in my notes, I say, what is that song Meg is humming? Because it's like, like, I was like, what a weird song to hum. Um, unfortunately, she doesn't get to finish it because she gets murdered. Um, it's a pretty weird way to stab her. So she is like what she has her back to the shower wall mm-hmm. and gets stabbed through the shower wall in the back, like through like the it's like um like one of those partitions where showers are. So she has her back there and the killer times it to like stab her through that. And then just like pull the knife down to like make a big long slice in her back or whatever. And then the killer, you know, being conscientious, uh, like goes to the front and washes off the knife and then turns off the water. (laughs) So good work killer. And, uh, even though this movie's considered a slasher, this is actually, I think our first slashing. And, um, in some ways, maybe our only slashing. I think I would argue that another kill later is also slashing, but um, we can we can do, we can decide that later. Uh, so Eddie is out in the woods with a bunch of those little kids. Yeah, he takes a hatchet away from one of them, and then has the others get set up while he goes to get firewood. Um, pay attention to that hatchet. It's gonna be it's gonna be, uh, be important later. It's one of those uh, Chekhov's hatchets. <laughs> Once you once you introduce the hatchet, you have to use it later. Uh, yeah, back at the rec hall, what is it? Paul is apologizing to Angela yet again, and explains that Ricky is lying down because he is sick from the food. And it's like while Paul is apologizing, once again Judy rolls through, but this time she's actually taking another guy with her to her, back to her cabin. So she like goes like in the middle of Paul and Angela just to like taunt them, but she's actually taking another guy back to her cabin. And Angela seems like she's giving in to uh, Paul here. He's like, yeah, meet me by the waterfront after the social at the rec hall in the back in the woods uh, with Eddie. Uh, two of the little boys are like, we're cold. I think there's what? There's six boys in the woods. So two of them wake up and they're cold and ask Eddie to take them back. And Eddie's annoyed, but he agrees. He's like, all right, let's go back to the car. And uh, <laughs> this is kind of funny because Eddie, like while he's getting up, glances back and he's probably considering like waking up the other kids to not leave them there. But he's like, ah, eh, they'll be fine, right? 
no mysterious unseen figure emerges from the woods right when Eddie leaves and like walks towards the sleeping little kids and then looks down and sees the hatchet. So you can guess what it's going to do with that hatchet murder these kids, which, which is actually kind of messed up. Yeah. These are like little kids, <laughs> but like all of the other like killings or like attacks were provoked, right? This was the first time that this was done. Like, like those, like those kids did nothing to Angela. Wrong. They did. They did. When they threw sand at her when she was after she had been pulled out of the water. Oh, I forgot that's about how, that. That's how vindictive she is. Yeah. So she like knew like these kids. So she actually probably wanted to kill all six of them, but because two of them were being I taken forgot. back, it gave her the opportunity so to kill cool. four of them. Yeah. 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 That was a cool moment because like, that makes way more sense now. Yeah, because like I, I don't think I even caught it like the first time I watched it. I think it was like in later viewings. I was like, oh, those kids like were the ones who were throwing sand at her, and it's implied that those kids suck because like later on, like Ronnie calls them like the little darlings or whatever. Take the little darlings camping, implying yeah. these kids are menaces. Right. Again, doesn't mean you deserve to get murdered, <laughs> but these kids were menaces and they did throw sand at Angela. So that's what that's why like they actually did provoke uh, her ire. So where were we at? So yeah, we. The, un the mysterious unseen figure emerged from the woods, which, by the way, knowing that Angela is the killer throughout these killings, like Angela's be sprinting from location to location <laughs> to like, get these right. murders done. It's crazy. Where are we at here? Uh, oh, Mel goes to the social hall uh, looking for Meg uh, to the rec hall. Rather, uh, he goes to Susie, who's working the canteen, and Susie explains that she's off and hasn't seen her. Uh, back at the girls bunk, uh, Judy is being really mean to the guy she's making out with. <laughs> Like, like tell him that he's like kissing too wet or something. I was like, man, this guy's like, no one can win with Judy, you know? Uh, but then they hear like the Mel's arriving. So she has the guy hide under the bed. Uh, Judy explains that Meg went to uh, take a shower uh, next door. And that's the last that she had seen her. Uh, and then when the guy emerges, like when Mel leaves and the guy emerges from the bed, uh, he tells Judy that, you know, I'm not getting caught, so I'm leaving. So he he goes. Um, in the showers on the other side, uh, Mel discovers Meg's body in what is basically an impossible way, because the body, like when he gets in there, it like falls through the shower curtain. Like the idea that the body was standing up that whole time, and then only yeah. when he got there, it fell. But in any case. Uh, this is our first look at like the, the wound, like the huge slice down the back. So we get to see a pretty gruesome cut. Um, and then, Oh, so then like, then Mel is like convinced that Ricky had done this and swears that he will get revenge against Ricky for, for Meg. Um, he says this all aloud, which is kind of funny. He's giving like a straight up, like soliloquy here at like the corpse of his, like almost lover who uh, is a teenager. So kind of also messed up. Cause he's a very old man, but, uh, back in the other side, uh, Judy has decided to do some curling of her hair in the dark. So she has her curling iron. Um, then the door opens and we see for the first time the killer kind of, which is kind of weird because I think that the person who's the stand in here is actually Ricky, but like with like a wig and like overalls on. It's kind of hard to see because it's very backlit. And that's the mm -hmm. point is like, we're not supposed to know who it is, but it's supposed to, I think it's supposed to be um, Angela in boys clothes, but they right. use the actor who played Ricky to kind of like throw us off a little bit. Right. 
But then as the uh, assailant gets near to Judy, she recognizes the assailant, but gets smacked in the face to like daze her and then puts a pillow over her head to like muffle her. And then like the curling iron is picked up and then used. And it isn't clear what's being done with the curling iron, but it's not great. Yeah, there's a not curling her hair. No, it's not curling her hair. It's the other end, and I don't know what was being done, but it's pretty messed up. Probably curling her insides. Yeah, pretty gross. So you get like a shadow of that happening, and then a shadow of her hands in the air. Like, um, so she is presumably dead. Um, her body is stored under the bed to avoid discovery. Um, at this point, like, I guess the killer wants to make sure that they have time to finish their murders. Oh, Eddie arrives back at the little boy campsite to find the remaining four have been hacked to death um, in their sleeping bags. And you get kind of a grisly shot of like all the sleeping bags. Like, yeah, that was wild. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a lot further than I wanted to see dead kids. That's for sure. But there you go. That's what you get. Uh, He uh, he throws up, which is a relatable reaction. And then he starts yelling for help. So um, what is it? Ricky's on the way to the rec hall. Um, a counselor uh, stops him because the social is over, um, but lets him go into the canteen because the counselor agrees that the dinner was was shitty. Um, so kind of a uh, kind of a uh, jab at poor Ben's cooking. Uh, he's running the kitchen, but at least he's not a pervert. Um, you know, Ricky's got some candies walking by Ronnie's shack, which is kind of an interesting series of events. So Ronnie isn't able to see Ricky going by because he gets a phone call which tells him about the murdered children in the woods, mm-hmm. but that bleeds it. So he doesn't see when Mel grabs Ricky and it like grabs him and pulls, pulls Ricky into the woods. And Mel is just like beating the crap out of him. And he's like, he, he beats him what he thinks he beats him to death. We mm-hmm. later find that he, he isn't dead, but he is pretty heavily beaten. And then Mel's like, Meg, I did it just like I promised. And he's like, Oh no, I just beat a kid up in my camp. I own, I better leave. He starts running away, Uh, but then he goes to the archery range, and I think we all know what's going to happen here. He sees who the the, inconspicuously walks in front of a target. It's like walks directly in front of the archery target. It's like you know what's going to happen. We've seen this in horror movies before. So like the the yeah like he sees the killer and he has a reaction recognizing the killer. He's like it can't be you, and then he gets shot in the neck with an arrow, so he's dead. (laughs) Which is actually kind of a cool arrow effect. I like that. Uh, That was yeah pretty pretty decently done. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what? Uh, then the cop. Uh, um, you know our man Frank, the cop. He arrives. Um, uh, to the assembled counselors at Ronnie's shack. Uh, he advises them to gather uh, all their kids uh, and keep them together, uh, so they can keep an account of who's alive and who's dead. Um, uh, Gene at that point uh, reveals that both Paul and Ricky are currently missing, and Susie reveals that Judy and Angela are missing. Um, so the cop says, "All right, everyone, pair off. Let's go search for them." Um, everyone runs off in different directions. I think Ronnie at that point is paired up with Susie. So what we get, uh, Paul is uh, waiting down the lake uh, for Angela. Um, and she arrives and says that they should go swimming and tells Paul to take off his clothes, which he eagerly does. And uh, Angela, you know, you know, facing us uh, starts to do the same. So things are starting to get a little creepy there. Uh, smash cut back to the cop. Uh, Frank, the cop, and Gino find uh, Ricky uh, having been beaten in the woods, but he turns out to be alive, and Gino carries him out of the woods. But at that point, they hear screaming, and they run to the cat, the girl's cabin to find that Meg is 
dead. Like we knew that, but mm-hmm. they didn't know that at that point. So, um, uh, this is like, things are starting to like ramp up. We're getting to the end. Uh, Ronnie and Susie are out, uh, near the lake yelling for Ricky and Paul. They hear, uh, some singing. Um, but it, at that moment, the singing they hear, like, uh, is the moment where Ronnie's flashlight dies because horror movie conventions mm-hmm. demand darkness. Um, the singing is just Angela with some like off off key humming. Really, it's not actually singing, and she's like stroking Paul's head, and which is in her lap. And this is like where it's like something about the way his body is positioned and the way his head is positioned on her lap. You know that that geography, like that physical geography, right. does not make sense. Um, sudden flashback, uh, flashback to like Aunt Martha or whatever, uh, telling. Like what we see is the surviving child with like a, a head bandage on saying that she uh, bought all new clothes and that she always wanted a little, a little girl. And she says some like really creepy stuff. Like, you know, I already have a boy. Now I need a girl. And she names her Angela. Um, and she's like, what does she say? She says, I, why I believe that means angel. Why I'm sure it does. It's like, she always yeah. starts sentences with why like that. It's like, that's again, like one of those weird, like fifties, like no one talks like this. Right. And then that's when we get the cut around. It's like, and like, I think that you'll, uh, you'll uh, enjoy this new life or whatever. Won't you Peter? And then it's Peter. Like we see that Peter was a survivor and this is like the big twist. And then it cuts to, uh, and this is like a really quick and kind of like almost jump scary cut where Angela, uh, jumps up is standing and is like hissing and snarling yeah, and drops. What we now see is Paul's severed head and is holding a knife covered in blood. And as the camera pans out to Angela being fully nude, we see that it's like Angela's head on like a dude's body, like straight up hanging dong and everything. And uh, then the, you know, you get Susie saying the obvious, like, how can it be? She's a boy. Like, yeah, we see that, dude. Like, um, so that's it. That's how the movie ends. Is like just with this like iconic scene of you know Angela's head on a boy's body, uh, with like the weird like hiss snarl thing that she's doing. Like, it's kind of yeah, it was real weird. creepy. Yeah, it's like real creepy. Well, the reason they had to do that is because I don't know if you saw that in the um, IMDb notes or whatever that the head was just like a cast of uh, Felissa Rose's head put as a mask onto a naked man. So like the head was frozen in that. So like the reason that it looks like almost like creepily, like demonic. Yes. Is because like it is still because it's just a rubber head. So I'm going to, I'm going to help you out with a statement you just made. They didn't have to do that. So what do you mean? (laughs) I, I think, I think we're all smart enough to understand whenever the, whenever the big reveal with the ant, they could have just panned, and perhaps maybe just shown like a maybe from behind or something. Oh, you're saying we had to see like a whole wiener. Yeah. Like that yeah, was, I mean, that, that did not need to happen. Like, that is true. That, yeah. We but you're saying like, you, hey, you know why they had to do that? It's like, oh, they didn't have to do they that. They didn't have uh, to do that. No, there was ways so, around it, but like, yeah. that's why that's like, that scene is the reason this movie is like, like a cult, like a, cult a quote-unquote cult classic movie is because just those 30 that twist ending yeah with like the yeah and because of like the way that like sh- the the angelo we knew is just like so still and it's almost like like not real and like the hissing and like just the standing there it's like and it just that entire like moment is just so 
like iconic for that reason. It's like, yeah, I guess we didn't have to see an entire wiener, but that was part of the the thing. So it's like actually the- really funny because the actor who uh, wore the Angela mask and who uh, was nude there uh, is uncredited and didn't want to be known for it. But now you can figure out who it is. But to respect the fact that he didn't want to be known for that, I will not say who that actor is. But he apparently had to get drunk before that scene because he was Jude so Law. nervous. What's that? Jude Law. Yeah, Jude Law. Sure. Sure it was. <laughs> very, very few people know that Jude Law actually got to start being a, a <laughs> naked man in this low budget slasher from 1983. So like for me, this scene and like my my brain, like again, I try to think of things differently than sometimes how it's. So like I think we go back to the fracturing. I think this final scene was the realization of who this person is, right? Because to me, I think all of, all of the all of the bullying done to Angela is when she was Angela, but then all of the retaliation was done as Peter. Um, and I and I think like and and the the reason I'm going there is because a lot of scenes you see like the killer it's more of a masculine figure. Right. And obviously like I, I get what you're saying with the red herring of it being Ricky. Um, but like, to me it was more of like, that's the split personality of the murderer is Peter and the, the kind of the victim is Angela. Right. So like, I, I feel like the end here, which made it more like to me, a little more like horrific was, you know, like, Angela kind of shedding like her clothes, obviously, but like revealing to everyone who Peter, you know what I mean? Like who, who she is. Right. So like, to me, this like kind of hit pretty hard because I was like, holy shit. Cause I I feel like they kind of like coalesced back into like one person, which made that whole demonic, like hissing thing kind of a little more like creepy. So yeah, um, yeah, I, I, and I like the, that reading of it. I kind of wish the movie had done a little more to establish that because I think yeah. that there's a lot of room for some wrongheaded interpretations of what was going on. Oh, hundred percent. But I, I do enjoy, I do like your reading of it a lot, and I think it's a lot less problematic than some of the discourse around this movie. And if you have anyone ever wants to like look up, like there's a lot of like uh, gender theorists and and like uh, uh, queer criticism and stuff like that about what is going on in this movie, and those people have the chops to actually like actually for, for explore sure. these yeah, issues yeah, right. in ways yeah, that sure. we definitely do not. So like Correct. if you're ever interested in any scholarship around this movie, it's out there and it exists. Yeah. And um, so, but yeah, so like there's, a, there's just so much going on here. And I do fear that in some ways the movie didn't do enough to like kind of inspire a better reading than some of the more negative readings that I, like I even saw some of the negative stuff that it was going for. Like you seem to have like a much more positive reading of it. Which is interesting because this whole time, positive, but this whole time you were Glacius and I was Cinder, you were yeah. Sub Zero and I was Scorpion, but you're over here coming up with like a less gross interpretation for some of the events. Yeah, I, I, let's let's be clear. Like, I, it's I don't I don't think it's good. I just I I, I just I think I, I'm trying to grasp what they were. Maybe there's like a layer deeper, and I'm probably doing that because of how shitty the original message was, which is which is highly plausible. Yeah, right? that imp- the initial implication. So, yeah. if I were directing and writing this, how I would have fixed this, um, I, I would have probably had a final scene where um, Angela or Peter, who, who however they're presented, is in like a, a uh, 
maybe like a therapy session or some kind of like hospital and they kind of unpack a lot of this stuff. And then, um, cause some of the movies do that where like, they'll do like the, you know, the therapist is talking and they leave the room. Then they have like a debrief with like a nurse or something or like, uh, you know, maybe like the police. Like, I think they could have done a great, a better job at the, Cause there's like no exposition on some of this stuff. <laughs> the only scene you get is that one of the aunt, um, telling, telling Peter that she's now Angela. So, and it's really um, just done to front load that for sure. Ending. Yeah. Right. So there's not like a lot done yeah. with that. Yep. Yeah. So, but Hey, I think we did a pretty good job at, uh, kind of going through what happened in the movie, but you know what that means, right? Well, well, gee whiz, mister. I think that means it's time for our <laughs> judgment categories. <laughs> So as uh, listeners know, our uh, judgment categories are where we assign a letter grade in, um, what is it, five categories. They are story, acting, effects, writing, and cult factor. Cult factor being that little X factor that makes these movies so special. So starting out, story. Um, how are you feeling about story, Shane? I think it's a B. I, I don't think it's perfect. I think it's a very cool premise. I think it it offers a lot of like there was so much potential here with what they could have done. Um, I think the camp stuff's played out, but it wasn't played out when this came out, right? Um, so I, I to me, I think it was a B. I I probably would lean towards C though, with all of the just bullshit that kind of comes along with this, right? They could have they could have done a lot better at explaining things. So I, I could I do a C or a B. Um, I would say B, uh, and I would <clears throat> agree with you that, like, number one, we've seen a lot of camp movies, and it really does feel, though, that this movie was pursuing that twist ending, and when it got it, it was done. Like, there was right. no denouement, really. Like, it just kind of ended. And I think that's kind of a shortcoming. Like, it really was just chasing that, like, taking this whodunit thing and going right to the end of it with this twist ending, and it was like, there, our work here is done. Which yeah. almost kind of makes makes me wonder about like the sequels. Like we know the twist. Like what's next now? <laughs> but but uh but yeah. So like I, I would agree with you. I would say I would say B for story. Um, yep. I enjoyed it, but again, like I don't think that it was. Like I said, it really wanted that twist ending, and it did not really care so much about like unraveling the other strands of the plot. But um, here I think we're gonna probably disagree. So we're at acting now. And uh, I'll go first this time. Yeah. I'm gonna say A. I actually found like a lot of these like performances to be very believable. Like Judy and Meg were like believably like awful as like the, the like bullies, like the, the, um, you know, mean girl bully types, uh, Ricky, like he had his like harsh edges, but you got a feeling for like the kind of guy he was like always sticking up for his cousin and always like, like helping out his like cohorts and stuff like that. Um, you know, Ronnie is out there being like the voice of reason. Like I really enjoyed that character and stuff like that. And like Mel is just like this old dude who's just like 
pushed to his like limit as he's just like he's just a business-minded man and he's obviously like losing his business as more bodies pile up and stuff like that and even like angela like when i first saw this when i was younger i was like man she just like is just staring she's not doing anything but i really think that her performance is more nuanced so there's use there's like something going on around her during those times like she's either like like those times where she's observing or observing like the uh the girls in the bunk like it maybe it's the i think it's we get the feeling it's the first time that angela has been around like other girls like this like you know angela is like struggling with this or like like there's like a different like kind of gaze she's giving each time that she's giving like these looks like it's not a passive performance at all so i enjoyed it a lot for those for those reasons so i i'm not going to mean this as a pun and i apologize to everyone that's about to hear this but so i agree with you i think this is an a and um to have children act in such a serious kind of movie and do such a great job without being campy. Um, and that's the, that's the shitty pun, but without being <laughs> camp, without being campy is remarkable that they were able to get like 13, 14 and 15 year olds to, to be able to do this stuff with, with the subject matter that's kind of at hand here. And, you know, the only character I didn't like was the ant, but like, I, I think they're trying to, it was on purpose, right? They um, were doing, yeah. Like they, cause yeah, like no human being ever talks like this. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah so it was written that way. So like, I think the actor did a good job at being a creepy, like just out of touch psychopath. Um, so yeah, I, I'll give it to you. A, I, the, I can't even think of a character that I was just to the point where I'm like, this is just God awful. Um, yeah, like even because, the ones that were like annoying, like they were annoying for a reason. Like that was yeah, how they were supposed to be. But it was be, believably like, annoying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, anyone who's been to a summer camp knows. Yeah. Like, this is how people are, how kids yep. are. Like it sucks. But uh, <laughs> all right, sweet. Yeah. So A on A on acting then. Um, how about effects? I, I have a feeling that especially coming hot off of something like The Prowler. Yeah. <laughs> watching the Tom Savini, the master himself at work, and then seeing these effects. Um, Honestly, I think they, they you can clearly tell that they're like uh, hamstrung by their budget, like the three hundred thousand sure. dollar budget. You don't see a lot of kills happen. You usually see the aftermath of a kill. And you have some really effective moments like that one with the snake crawling out of Kenny's mouth. Like, oh, yep. that was gross as hell. But then like then you have like those like weird like the the slight like the slice of among uh, like um, on uh, Meg's back was kind of like, eh, I, I didn't really look that great. But then you have like the aftermath of those like little kids being murdered and like those like torn up like sleeping bags. Like, oh man, I wasn't expecting to see that today. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of hit and miss. Yeah, it really was. It really was like you know. And then the, the oh yeah, the the arrow to the neck, Mel's arrow to the neck. I thought that was really well done. But granted, you it's like a blink and you miss it effect. It just happens, and then we just yep. cut away from it. It's like so whatever it was they had to do to make that effect happen, they couldn't linger on it long. So I I probably would have to give it a B like the ones that miss miss but the ones that hit hit so so I'll give you the B but I I need to just bring up one point Uh-oh. and why why I would think it's a C but I'll give it the B because they there were some really cool effects um you know taking music all everything it kind of worked right the um the cop had a glued on mustache like paper mustache and okay they did a cl- but hold on they did a close-up of it right you, like they made the act of choice to zoom in on that cop's face 
for that one scene right before the end when they're coming out of the cabin after they discover uh um judy right there was a there was a reason for that though well it better be a fucking good one because why would you why would you glue okay go ahead they shot that later and they thought they were done with the cop scenes and he had already shaved his mustache for something else he was doing and they had him come back and in order to keep continuity they had to like put a fake mustache on him but why do the close-up i don't know man i don't i didn't so i'll give you the b it's just like i I had to say that because it I'm like what the f- like why would you do that i was pissed if you can't tell that made me yeah mad. clearly yeah uh, i was like, i was actually offended i just really like seeing like whenever like they like these effects and you just and skated like, over that by the way and i knew you knew why like so you know you were just gonna let that slide and i can't believe that so i was yeah i was gonna let him go with like the fake mustache thing you're like a pro frank the cough guy i don't <laughs> frank the cop yeah it's like it's like what a cab all cops are bastards except frank yeah a cab if <laughs> but uh yeah i know so like okay so um you let me have my b on effects uh, oh, yeah. i just writing it in there. yeah this is all right, writing well i actually enjoy like there's like some real standout moments of dialogue here um i really like ricky's character mm-hmm. like his eat shit and live bill is gonna yeah, be like, that it's like a, that, that's like a new catchphrase gonna be using yeah. that one in my in my everyday life um but like as far as like and we kind of talked about it in story but as far as story structure i think that the writing is weak but i feel like dialogue is really good and i i think that some of the more standout moments too are like the way they like took two lines to establish Artie was like a you know pervert like mm-hmm. who shouldn't be working with kids and like stuff like that and then like um like like ronnie i think his his he's very well written trying to be the voice of reason here um and i really think that writing like having like child like like kids dialogue like teenagers dialogue is hard because like as an adult writing for like an adolescent like the way the world is even even like when we were teenagers like you know 20 years ago like even since then like things have changed so much to try to recapture of the voice of children is like really hard and i think that even the best writers like stephen king even suffers like from this like the older he gets it's harder to get in touch with that so I wonder if some of this dialogue was even improvised by some of the kids who are in it. It's it's possible. Um, you know, when you were you're saying all this, the movie that came to mind was actually it, the the new one, not not the original. Um, and I think they were successful at this because they wrote the characters when they were that like they were that age. So they 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 weren't trying to write characters into time frames that they weren't part of, which I thought was cool. And I think it yeah. works. And it yeah, works here. There's, as far as, yeah, as far as kids dialogue, I think that yeah. like, yeah, like the, it, the new it movie, like the, it, it chapter one or whatever, part one, whatever it was, yeah. that one's probably a masterclass in it. And I really think that we've gotten, we've kind of come into an era, like with the like, stranger things is and stuff like that, of like mm-hmm. having children in movies that are like, it used to be like a, like a joke, like oh, child actors, you know, but like, I feel yeah. like, like we've really moved into that era and it's kind of cool to see something like this where it also works even though it was back then like like so few movies made the swing and part of it's probably for labor reasons but like yeah. it's interesting to see them like actually hit it here um so i'd say like as far as dialogue goes i i would give it an a but because of the story structure stuff being a little bit off i i probably have to give it a b i can't give it an a for that yeah i agree with you on that all right so b on writing yep and our last one is cult factor uh um 
I, you know, I'm not really an A on this, but like, man, I, I just think they botched a lot of shit. But so you um, didn't like the wiener thing, did you? I like why? <laughs> like, li- like literally, there were, there are three moments before that where they talk about and like allude to that, and it's just like we get it, we get it. I um, yeah, I think you're being a little hard on it, but the, was, the only reason I want to say, I want to say. uh that I'll let you like, I'll go down to B on this. Like I, I would say a, but honestly, this is just a twist ending. That's the, that's the draw here is the twist ending. So, yeah. you know, if you want to see it in action, it's worth a watch, but there is a lot of problematic stuff here. And like I said before, there's a lot of people who are way more qualified to talk about those problematic things out there, but it, it is also just like, if you don't want to go into that minefield, then just avoid this movie. You don't have to do it. Just yeah. like they didn't have to show us an entire wiener, but they did it anyway. With so, like a demonic head. Like it was just, <laughs> it's just the whole, like, again, they did a storyboard and we're like, this is good. This is what we need. And I'm like, <laughs> like, did anyone just stop this man? Like we need this wiener to be out. Yeah. Rich. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I'll let you have B on cult factor right. in there, but I am just want to go on record that I was close to a on that just because it is an iconic moment, even if we didn't need to see a wiener. We, it was still, it like, was still good. Move the camera up a tiny bit, <laughs> but you need to see the wiener to know it's a dude. You oh, that's the only. You just yeah, you're right. Yeah, I guess just my intelligence isn't to a level of which that the scene prior where they show the ant literally saying that just kind of. Sorry, we'll, you're you're telling me that seeing that entire wiener didn't aid you in your in that moment. I, I out loud. I feel like we're being audibly said this movie right now. audibly said, and I'm in my basement watching this and it happens. I'm like, what the fuck? I literally <laughs> said that. I'm like, what? Like what? Anyways, why do I have to look at this entire wiener? Well, okay. But like, and then you pair it with the hissing and the weird, like still mask. I'm like, what? there's just so much going on in it that is one such a moment. jarring moment. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was like coming off of this. I'm like, like yeah, I'm pretty into this movie, and then that happened. And I'm like, what the fuck? So yeah, I don't know. But so that twist ending that it's probably most famous for it was actually a huge like, like a huge off switch for you. You're like, no, I didn't need this. I needed this entire well, wiener. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, speaking of uh, wieners, the, you know our next segment is. There was only one man for the job. Oh, that's a perfect transition, man. <laughs> it's the D roll. <laughs> the D roll. Fucking nailed it. <laughs> so the D roll got, got it one, dude. The D roll being like our little one last hat on a hat thing, where we take this and put it into another category. Our four categories being cult classic, B movie, grindhouse, or trash. So trash almost never will come up. I hope we never watch a movie that's trash. If we do, we've really come to the bottom of the barrel. Um, so I know you're going to be arguing for B-movie because you don't like this whole wiener business. But I got to tell you, I'm going to make a fight for a cult classic on this. Oh, hold on. I, I This is definitely a cult classic. Okay. <laughs> so wait, this whole like wiener <laughs> argument? This whole, this podcast is falling apart. Like, Yeah, it's, it's coming, <laughs> coming apart at the seams. Uh, look. I think it's a, I think it's a cult classic. I've like the, the eat shit and live. I've seen the carpenter joke thing as a meme. Um, I've seen other parts of this movie that I didn't even know were from this movie, like in stuff. 
So like, yeah, I, I think it's a cult classic. I, I think B movie, like the quality of this movie isn't bad. Um, the, some of the subject matter isn't approached correctly. And some of the, some of the other things that are happening, I think just are bizarre, but I don't think that takes it like knocks it down a level. Was it like, like supernaturals? Like that was a bad movie. Like, you it know was. what I mean? It was. You know, <laughs> so when you like stack up and look at this, like, yeah, it's a cult classic. I think there's a lot of stuff here that, that, um, kind of put it in that category and you know. But yeah, I thought, see, you, you really thought I was going to come into this, like hating on this movie and I didn't, it's just, there were a couple of choices they made that I'm like, just, why would you do this? Well, not but, to pull, like put, like get to inside our process or whatever. When you texted me and you like, it seemed really cold on it. And that's why I came in like ready to be like, oh, you're over here being blizzard and I'm over here being yeah chaos. I guess Diablo. I don't know that primal rage. It's really hard to make primal rage work considering that. The other ape is the one that farts and is not the one that is fire. So, yeah. And then there's the yellow lizard, like why? Yeah, Sauron, like who eats? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, everyone, stay tuned uh, to our next episode, which will be all about Primal Rage, the Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo video game. But no, yeah. So, like, whenever you came into it, I thought you're like really cold on it. So I was like just ready to defend this movie. But no, it's now that you're like here and you're like, yes, cult classic is fine. Like, we're you're you're a little bit you've eased your rough edges to it. So I think if I if I just want to summarize your thoughts here, more wieners in movies is what you want, right? <laughs> you just want to see a lot more final scenes of somebody with a wiener out. I guess I yeah, that's <laughs> you you caught you caught me. Gotcha. <laughs> but no, yes, I I, yeah. I I think this movie is yes, called classic all the way. I'm glad that we agree on it. Yeah. Do you like how I just like j jarringly shifted from Primal Rage the video game to Wieners and to movies? Wieners? Yeah. Oh man, what a day! What a, what a time to be alive. So, anything else to say about Sleepaway Camp before we move on to uh, I guess start uh, introduce part three of our summer try slashathon? Yeah, I I did have some updates too that I forgot to do in the beginning, and I'll do in a little bit. But oh, you want to do some late housekeeping? Yeah, but my final thoughts on the movie are Oh, there are more thoughts. <laughs> I this is just my final thought on the movie, okay? Okay. If you if you're going to make a movie and you have a crazy plot twist ending, don't explain it four times in 10 minutes and then just don't show naked dude like it, you didn't have to do it. So that's all. I'm done. <laughs> Sound like a real prude right now. What are you, an Angela? Well, no, it's just like what oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> I walked into that one. You certainly did. Yeah. But in any case, yes. Uh I mean it, that is it is true they like explained it too many times, but they just really wanted to make sure it's like, hey, this is Peter. It's like in case you forgot that Peter's a dude, here's his wiener. In case so, you're yeah, a fucking I, idiot. <laughs> you are like offended by this wiener situation. Well, it, but it was used. just like out of nowhere, dude. <laughs> like if if they had like other like shower scenes and crap or some other stuff that they even like talked about. I don't know. Well, those are the ones where they hint at it, like how like Angela never goes in the water. Angela doesn't shower with the girls. Like, hey, it comes up and stuff like that. So like, I think yeah, we obviously moments, get it, dude. Those moments are like glossed over by the fact that like Judy's just like a terrible person to her. So you think like, oh, like Judy's just being mean. This is nothing to worry about. It's like, oh no, no, no. There's a reason for it, and it's because Angela is a dude. But <laughs> anyways, uh. Anything else to say besides that you don't want to see 
don't want to see a wiener in a twist ending, I guess. Like a kid, it's a child. Like uh, <laughs> there's so many problems here, dude. Like, anyways. Well, you uh, didn't know it wasn't the actual girl because it was a guy. But it's implied. Now you're starting to read too much into it. You're starting to creep me out. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We're good. Oh my goodness. So here, here's the update. I want to get I off have. this ride. Oh yeah, you want to do that housekeeping now? After yeah. Talking so about wiener stuff for a while. Guess what came in the mail? Was it Supernatural's on VHS? Rebellion de Growlin. So, way cooler title, by the way. Um, but, yeah, so Supernatural's, the German version on DVD, came. Um, I haven't watched it yet. I might uh, try to talk you into kind of hanging out and, and watching it and see if it's better quality. But I, I will promise you that if we get two minutes in and it's not better quality, we're not watching it again. So. Uh, but I do have it. It is here. It is safe in, in my custody. Um, the box art is fantastic. It, actually, at first, I'm like, is this even the same movie? I thought it got ripped off. But um, well, it shows it, a couple. Good. That title is, 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 is it growling like horror? Because I remember that Nosferatu's German, uh, uh, German title is like, that it translates to a symphony of horror. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, I think it's the Rebels of Horror, or or uh, I can't remember because the the day the DES changes the here. Let me let's look it up. Yeah, it's like Ina Symphony. De, Re- this, Rebels of Horror. Yeah, I was right. Rebel okay, Rebels yeah, yeah. Of, Rebels of Horror, which is cool because it's like Rebels. It's like the Confederate Rebels. Um, oh, true. They are like yeah. yeah. They, yeah it's kind of it, it was a cool. It's a cool title. It's better than Supernaturals. Um, but I again I. Some of the decisions these companies make sometimes are the, like of how they choose artwork and titles. I I, I don't really understand, mm-hmm. but yeah. So, all right. So you have it and we're going to be watching that to see if it's better quality. And if it's not, we will not continue to watch it. Yep. Was that the only housekeeping you had? Was just Yeah, that was it. Up, yeah. Bring yep. up, you have a VHS of a previous movie that was terrible. Yeah, and DVD. I will see if it's slightly less terrible. Oh, it's a DVD. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Oh, it's a DVD. Why did I think it was a VHS this whole time? No, I got a DVD. That's that's why this was so important because oh. there's only one version of this movie on DVD, and it's the German version for well, well, well. unknown reasons. So yeah, I got the DVD. Let's hope it works. Yeah, in the words of Bib Fortuna, De Wanawanga. So, yeah, <laughs> that'll be fun. But um, all right, so. So we'll be watching a German version of Supernatural, see if it's better. Yep. In the in the meanwhile, uh, as our audience members know, we're the this was part two of our three part uh, summer try slashathon, enjoying these uh, summer slasher movies. I do love that this one was barely a slasher. It's like arguably two slashings that actually occurred in it. Granted, I don't think you have to slash. You can also do other things, but like there's not a lot of like killings were done in a manner that would ordinarily be considered slashing. You could gash. Um, well, that's the thing. Is like there's, it's like I don't know. I think it, the you think of like an edge bladed weapon is usually at play. Like it can be like yeah. an axe. It can be a machete. It can be a knife. It's like not usually bees. It's not. It's not usually like uh, hot water. Um, it can be arrows sometimes, I guess. That's true. It's arrows. So we had a suggestion from a friend, fan of the show, uh, the man, the myth, the legend, McMurray himself. Mm-hmm. And he, he recommended that we would do like the best kill of the movie, which I thought was cool. 
and I was going to pitch it to you uh, because last time we definitely both were pretty high on the shower scene from uh, the Prowler. Yeah, it was rad. So like in this one, if you had to pick, like what would be your like kill of the show or kill of the movie? Oh, um, I guess that's a tough one. I, you know, you want to go the, first? I've got one. Yeah, you can go first. The bees, dude. That was crazy. I was actually going to say the bees. The bees. <laughs> it has to be the bees. Bees? bees. Bees. But yeah, no, I didn't expect the bees. I definitely didn't see that coming so yeah i had to go with bees and it really hit me at a place that like like i those uh two times i've had like multiple yellow jacket stings make me particularly alarmed by bees the level of personal risk that angela had to go through to take that beast like to go lock this dude in the stall go around uh cut a hole in the the screen and drop a beehive on him like just stab him just stab the guy you had a knife yeah it was well because like what was cool though like is it like is it a prank like they're just trying to prank the guy but then obviously it goes south quickly so that's the excuse they do is like probably a prank that went out of hand like who pranks one by dropping an entire beehive on them that's not how this works crazy yeah i'd have to say just because like this the amount of like effort that had to go into it as the killer is like there's so many easier ways to kill somebody you don't have to do this because yep. otherwise I might have even said like the knocking over the uh, the boiling, the, uh, the ridiculously huge pot of boiling water onto that one, dude. But he didn't die. He didn't so die. It doesn't so count. so the, the, the bees get it. The bees, the bees get it on a technicality. <laughs> All right. That's a cool segment. It's kind of weird yeah. to introduce it uh, to two movies into our three movie event we're doing. But sure. Why not? You know, what? it's our podcast. If you don't like it, start your own. Yep, and and you or can, don't, and then or don't, yeah, yeah, or don't let us have all the glory. Yeah, either way. <laughs> so, shall we introduce the final part of our summer try slashathon with that Let's movie? Do movie? It. We are going to go with uh, the burning, which Ooh. is yeah, which is a 1981 also summer camp one. It's one of many movies that have been made about like the uh, New York, like a uh, New York State, like urban legend about the Cropsy maniac. Um, mm-hmm. there's a couple other movies i think there's actually even one called like Cropsy at this point yeah, it's yeah like a, i think it's, it's like a mockumentary mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and there's another one that's kind of contemporaneous with this that was made and i for the life of me i can't remember what it was called but it was like one that i actually considered doing instead of this one and the reason i thought of that is because the burning is while it's a i think it's a really good movie i think it holds up quite well um it is one of the jumping off points of the uh infamous weinstein brothers uh, Bob and Harvey Weinstein are both like involved in this production. I believe uh, it was a story conceived by Harvey Weinstein and like uh, written at, uh, by uh, Bob Weinstein with another writing partner. And uh, Harvey Weinstein was a producer on it. So there's a bit of a problematic bent to it because of Weinstein involvement, but I still think it holds up and, you know, don't want to like let it get away without mentioning that, but I don't think that it will affect the enjoyment of the movie. Um, for streaming, uh, obviously this one is on Tubi. They always are. Um, it's on the Roku channel. Um, I'm showing here that it's on Shutter. Uh, so it's also on Shutter for horror fans that have the Shutter service. It's available there. So, uh, you know, Tubi being free, easiest one, but there's other locations too. And uh, I didn't see any major difference in the quality. It looks like uh, pretty much every 
every version of it is pretty high quality. So that's that's nice to see. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I, it, and Tubi is just a blessing, right? It is, yeah. Yeah. It is like it is it is proof that the gods love us and want us to be happy. <laughs> well, I've started TV. watching like other movies and then like so another thing about me, I really like um like eighties and nineties action movies and they're pretty much all on there. Yeah, so. they have a lot of stuff on there. Yeah. And it, the only thing that's like kind of annoying, I guess, is that it to be as ad supported. But at the same time, like kind of need a break every once in a while. <laughs> Stretch mm-hmm. your legs, go to the kitchen, you know, stuff like that. So it's kind of cool to have a little little commercial break from time to time. Um, so yeah, I, I've, I've been watching a lot. I've been watching basically a lot of Tubi and then, uh, Pluto TV as another free app and it has like a, a dedicated Godzilla channel, which has been a, been a, a big part of my life in the last like month or so. So that's, that's what it, like I, Pluto TV is also <laughs> a good service. There's a lot of good stuff on there. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm not sure if there's anything else you wanted to talk about. I did want to bring up that, uh, I am writing a review again to like add to the site. Oh, cool. Um, it, yeah, it's on. Uh, uh, actually, it's on a horror movie this time. It's Unwelcome, uh, which was a um, recent movie that was actually released. Uh, it's a Shutter original, I believe. It was a direct to Shutter. Um, pretty good movie. I really enjoyed that one. So, just a side recommendation if everyone is interested. A uh, nice little folk horror movie about a couple that uh, have some trouble uh, in in London uh, with some uh, criminals who attack them. So this husband and his his pregnant wife decide to move to a house he inherits in Ireland. Um, And uh, there's basically like a forest dwelling red cap gnomes out there. That's awesome. Yeah. It's a real instantly more interested. (laughs) It's like one of those movies that like I remember like there's like one moment. I don't want to like spoil it because because like when they get there, like the one of the neighbors is like, don't forget to put out like, you know, liver every night for the red caps. It's just like one of our old superstitions or whatever. And they kind of like laugh it off or whatever. It's like, uh, no, they're out there, man. <laughs> they're real. And it's like really cool. Like the way like there's a moment in that movie where the movie just like goes completely wild. And I just love, love the, that moment of the movie. It's like a lot of like dragging up, like, you know, oh, they moved to the country and they're living a new life and they're trying to get their house fixed up. And then suddenly gnomes. <laughs> Like or like goblins, kind of like it's like kind of funny. That's awesome. I'm <laughs> gonna watch that like probably tomorrow. Yeah, it's so good. And yeah, I'm, I'm like I'm writing up a review for that that I'll I'll send to you for like getting on the site. So hopefully Sick. that that'll be done this week as well. So oh yeah, we have a website. Yeah, we do. We have that yeah. website. <laughs> Dynamismedia.com. There you go. Yeah, my yeah. older reviews are there, and I'll, like I said, I'll be adding this one. And I've honestly seen a couple of bigger movies lately too that I would like to write reviews for. I just kind of ran out of steam on some of those because it was like guardians of the galaxy volume three and the flash it's like these are huge movies like no one needs to know my thoughts on that but right well i do uh, so (laughs) well maybe i'll do one for those two we'll see all right sick all right well then next time we'll be doing the burning and i think that we're covered how do we end this thing uh we don't we just (laughs) this is our life now in perpetuity you just (laughs) sit here no, um, we've always look, lived in the castle. I think uh, I appreciate everyone, um, the support, the you know, all the feedback we're getting uh, really helps us. So if you want to um, go ahead, uh, leave a review, um, share with a friend and uh, just, you know, if you want to reach out to us where, you know, we'll talk to you, I think maybe if, unless we <laughs> miss it, but we'll try. So, yeah, uh, that's all I had. So I've been Shane. Yes, and I've been Stefan. 
and something about spooky. Spooky. It's spooky time. There you go. Cut out that. Uh, cut out the other one. Cut out the one where I botched it. Oh, you okay. Cut it out, are you? I don't know. We'll see. That's the true spookiness. That's the true. That's the true terror. <laughs> the true horror is leaping in. The is first a, one that I botched is which oh, jokes no. do I leave in and which ones do I take out? Yeah, you'll almost, never know. Yeah, you'll never know what's about to happen. <laughs> All right, let's, let's end this. All right, see ya. See ya.